Welcome to Green and Gold Forever. I'm Eric Drews, broadcasting from Appleton, Wisconsin, and we'll be joined shortly here by Chris Zarnick. And the Green Bay Packers had to slug it out, but they won their second overtime game of the season, this time over a Tampa Bay Buccaneers team that was giving the Packers all they could handle, and then some 26-20 to on a 20-yard Aaron Jones run in overtime. And there's a lot to get into here. Uh, we want to talk about this game. We want to talk about uh, the Badgers. There's a big game on Saturday. And then the thing we're looking forward to is talking about our favorite game from each of the last five decades. And we've had a lot of fan support for that as well. So That'll we're, be fun. <laughs> that'll be very fun. Um, what wasn't fun for about three quarters and maybe a little longer was the Packer game on Sunday. And the Packers were able to win. They keep their slim playoff hopes alive. They got a chance to play the worst team in a long, long time in the Cleveland Browns. If they win that and some things go their way, then maybe the playoff talks are a little bit more serious. But to me, Chris, uh, it was clear watching the Packers. I was happy they won. I saw some nice things out of some players, but they're still not a very good football team. You know, I think what's hard here is that at some point, you know, even if you've lost uh, Aaron Rodgers, okay, you can you can talk about, um, you know, maybe the offense doesn't dominate again. But But if you're a really good football team, you should have certain players dominating all the time, right? Mm-hmm. So you have, you have five, six blue chip players. Um, and so if Mike Downs is blue chip, he should be showing up all the time. Mm-hmm. Or if Clay Matthews is blue chip, he should be showing up all the time. Or ha-ha, Clinton Dix. And so forget about the whole Rodgers thing just for a second. Yeah. And think about, you know, who are the really who are the Packer players that we really bet the farm on yeah. and say, boy, these are really the solid um, – you really the solid guys that we're going to build this franchise around, and we really feel like our blue chippers, they, they are very often missing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> kind of MIA. Um, and so I think we're just not special. Uh, mm-hmm. I think I think we are um, an average football team without Aaron Rodgers, and we can beat some teams that are a little bit worse than us. But in general terms, I'm not sure where we're special anymore, and I think that was just covered up for a really long time. Um, you know, I think of some like Kyler Fackrell got a block punt, which is fantastic. Yeah, but he came up the middle unblocked, completely yeah. unblocked. Um, so what will what will happen here is we'll go. Oh my gosh, we had, there was a Kyler Fackrell sighting, <laughs> but where was that sighting for the last like seven games? Absolutely. So, so we forget sometimes that if you're really good at any position, that person should. At least, you know, like like Richard Sherman dominated yeah. a side of the field. Didn't yeah. didn't matter if Russell Wilson played or not. You could bet on Richard Sherman dominating the side of the field. And uh, listen, I'm thrilled to death that yeah, we won. Yeah. There was some exciting stuff that we should talk about. But I I, I think we have an average football team, uh, and and Aaron Rodgers makes us special. Yeah, there's a new hero every week, which is okay because you want to see some of those. But that doesn't make a great football team where you have guys like Brett Hundley flashes up. Looks great against the Steelers, then can't get a hundred yards. You have the the defense is a great example. You know Kyle Kyle Fackrell. Then you get the think pieces of hey he's turning the corner, and it's okay to have some of those. You got to give some of those young guys a chance to develop. Right. But I remember after uh, we're picking on Jordy Nelson, he's proven himself, although he might be on the back end of his career now. But I remember when they lost to the Bills in 2014, he could have had a 95 yard touchdown catch, and he dropped it. Okay. And I made an argument to Matt on the podcast. Well, it's hard to be mad at Jordy Nelson because Aaron Rodgers should have thrown a pick six and Jordy Nelson broke it up. And I had thought about that point all day. I'm like, this is a good one. And Matt says, well, yeah, but you don't just get 
one good play a game, <laughs> right. you can make multiple. Not if you're a good player, right, exactly. <laughs> and if you're some of these up-and-coming players, at some point, you have to turn those flashes and turn that into consistency like we've seen out of Adams and we're starting to see out of, believe it or not, Demarius Randall. But they're few and far between. And uh, and uh, kind of our new workhorse running back. Yeah. Um, Mr. Williams. Yeah. Uh, he looks like he looked at BYU. You know, <laughs> if you watch tape, and I, I have to admit I'm a super draft geek. Mm-hmm. I, you know, I, I, I'll come out from uh, under the covers here and say that I, you know, in March I am buried in um, – buried in videos for the draft yeah uh and you watch him run and he runs now exactly like he ran at BYU but it looks like he's running now with his eyes open I mean <laughs> like like the first couple of months with yeah. the Packers he looked like he was just running closing his eyes and going to the hole and hitting anybody in the back I got he's got a couple of quick little feet but mostly his burst listen that touchdown that he got yeah he was hit at the two and mm-hmm. and most backs are stopped at the two-yard line, and he won. Mm-hmm. So a um, lot of carries, uh, very, very few uh, negative plays when he yeah. runs the ball. I hate the falls forward, but it's sort of true with him. Um, <laughs> it's one of those things where when you hear them talk about a player being smart, mm-hmm. like he falls forward. Nobody ever said, well, Emmett Smith falls forward, <laughs> even though he did because he was great in several other areas. But he's starting to show that, like you said, he's got a little bit more than we saw earlier in the season, and perhaps it just was him getting more comfortable. Um, I had to mention this because I tweeted a random stat on, on Monday, usually on my lunch. I like to come up with a bunch of random right. stats. And I found one that Jamal Williams is the first Packer to get 18 or more carries. And, of course, that's a made-up number just to include <laughs> him in this. That got 18 or more carries in four consecutive games since Eddie Lacy in 2013 when Aaron Rodgers was out. Oh my so God. they really haven't relied on a running back that much. And so I said that about Jamal Williams, and it was one of the more active tweets I've had recently getting tons of likes and retweets and responses all from people who said in their description that they loved BYU. <laughs> so even as he left that school in kind of a strange way, there's still a ton of support for him in Cougar country. Yeah, he's kind of a man uh, out there. I mean, I, you know, BYU hasn't had a lot to hang their hat on since maybe Ty Detmer or someone like yeah. that. But uh, I was going to say Jim McMahon, but Ty yeah, Detmer oh, did win the Heisman. Yeah, exactly. So that's a good one. So, um, so I, I, I th- listen. We have a workhorse running back, and you know if, if you're thinking about somebody who you give the ball to, and it's always second and six, always you know it's mm-hmm. not it's not second and ten. How often have we run that stretch play to the left with yeah. other running backs with Ty Montgomery, and you you get nothing or lose a yard? Yeah, second and, and second, thirteen, right? Exactly. And so all of a sudden you're constantly seeing second and and six, second and five. Sometimes second and two. Yeah, um, and that's that's what a good running game looks like. So really proud of our offensive line, a, a, a fairly makeshift offensive line, and uh, we haven't talked at all about Jason Spriggs, which is a good thing yeah. when you're talking about offensive linemen. Um, you know, he was terrible in the beginning mm-hmm. of the year. Um, you know, may, maybe the fact that we're running the ball a lot more makes it easy on the offensive linemen. But uh, you know, th- there's definitely a, a a running game in Green Bay, and it's it's a good thing because we need it right now. Absolutely, and hopefully it'll expand next week. Aaron Jones had one carry. He may he ran into a hole that was plugged. He bounced it back to the other side, found a lane, got a great downfield block by Jordy Nelson, took it into the end zone for the game winning touchdown. 
I'm wondering if they were still being tentative with his ankle and Jamal Williams was playing so well or if it was a punishment for the news that came out about him getting in trouble a little bit. I don't know what it was, but if if they were saving him, the strategy worked. You would think that those carries are going to be a bit more evenly distributed the rest of the season between Jones and Williams. And I wanted to point this out. Ted Thompson has deserved a lot of the criticism that he's gotten for a lot of these empty drafts, but there are times when he just decides, he he picks weird things like Quentin Rollins and stuff like that, but there are times when you wonder what he's doing, you need a running back and you're playing a guy that's wearing 88 as your starter, and then he waits forever to pick up running backs, he picks three of them and two of them look pretty darn good, so credit where credit's due. Right, and and if you think of, you know, People always talk about thunder and lightning. One of the things that you saw on um, on Aaron Jones's carry was when he hit the Jets. He, you know, you you yeah. watch Jamal Williams all game, and he has a certain speed to him. And when Aaron Jones got the ball and he turned the corner, gone. So yeah. so completely different type of running back. Um, great vision, but when he hit, you know. When when Williams hits a corner, you expect ten yards. Uh, Aaron Jones can take it to the house, which he did with some style, actually, with yeah. a dive into Dolph. the end zone and a dramatic win. Yeah, and so they might have the best two. I was trying to think of the best one-two punch they've had. Starks and Lacey is probably the answer, the probably. most recent one, and that's not long ago. But it felt like one of them would vanish, and then the other one would. It, I can't remember a game where both of them were really good, other right. than that. Maybe that rain game against uh, Dallas in uh, 2015. But then you've got some of the other ones, like uh, I was trying to think, even they have the potential to be a, a better version of Amon Green and Najee Davenport, or, or maybe uh, I, I wrote down this uh, great one. It was actually a trio that I'm sure everybody loved, the Daryl Thompson, Keith Woodside, Vince Workman, right? Oh, my goodness. Uh, Daryl Thompson out of Minnesota. Yep. Vince Workman, number 40. Uh, 46. 46. Pookie Workman, Sorry. Ohio State. Okay. And I have no idea where Keith Woodside was from. <laughs> I don't even know. I don't think his mom knows where he's from. <laughs> um, but, so. yeah, I'm, I'm just joking. They got a chance to make something out of this backfield, and um, our passing game probably won't be this anemic forever. Well, and just just think about how much pressure, really, if you think about how good the offensive line has been, when you throw it 80% of the time, yeah. Pass blocking is super, super hard. So, we, you know, what you have to do, like we simplify an offense for a quarterback, running the ball a lot simplifies it for the offensive line. Because if you're pass blocking, you're dropping back and you have no idea what's coming at you and you yeah. have to react to whatever comes at you. When you pass block, you have a point of contact and you go and you just hit whatever's <laughs> in front of you. And uh, and so that really makes it a lot easier for the offensive linemen. And maybe they're starting to feel their feel their oats a little bit mm-hmm. and, 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 you know, imposing their will. Yeah, so let's talk about that passing game. This was the first time since a Monday night game against the Philadelphia Eagles in the pouring rain in 2003 that the Packers have had more than twice as many rushing yards as passing yards. So, And and before that, it was a long time ago since that has happened. And that's because Brett Hundley came crashing back to earth pretty spectacularly. Now, he had 66 rushing yards, and he really did help that rushing Mm -hmm. attack, so we can't lose sight of that. It's becoming clear to me, however, though, that Brett Hundley's a really nice kid. He's a tough, tough player. Right. But he does not have an NFL caliber arm. You know, I, I don't know if it's his arm or if it's his his uh, his vision of seeing the field. I was thrilled to death when they ran some read option. Yeah. I mean, you know, you and I have been yeah. pulling our hair out, um, what little hair I have left, uh, 
about saying, listen, this guy. We were been... both pulling my hair okay, out, fair so enough. he didn't feel bad. <laughs> um, you know, he's been running read option since he was 15 years old. Yeah. And so what, what was interesting is they haven't called read option in the whole time he's been in. We're five games in, three, you know, three seasons into his career. He ran the first option like he's been running it since his 15, yeah. since he was 15. And you know why he did? Because he's been running it since he was 15. So so I think instead of putting a square peg in a round yeah. hole, we said, um, and I'm glad he held it to a yeah. point where we needed a first down. You know, uh, I don't think it's got to be a staple of the offense. You know, I, I think... And I don't think it can be, uh, not to interrupt you, is the read option is a great way to move the ball. But at some point when people are adjusting for it, as we saw with Colin Kaepernick's career, Absolutely. as we've seen with that transition period where Russell Wilson had to learn to become a great pocket passer at some point, they're not going to let you do it and you have to make the throws. You've got, you know, you've got, you can run it three times a game, hopefully uh, as a surprise tactic. Mm -hmm. And so listen, I've seen Hunley really throw super deep balls and I've seen him throw some really good. I I don't know that he's um, unable. Yeah. Uh, I I just don't think he sees the field. I really do. I don't think he trusts his eyes. There's a old saying in, in when you train quarterbacks is that you have to teach them to trust their eyes that, once you see it, you throw it. You don't see it and go, well, let's yeah. make sure it's there. You see it, and then you throw it, and you just trust that it is what you say it is. And I think he's, you know, again, nothing's coming off out on time, yeah. and that is that is the clearest indication in the world of somebody who's not a confident quarterback in the routes or in his receivers. Yeah, and he had a lot of that, and it's hard to tell when you're watching the game broadcast, but he had that one that he missed to Devontae Adams where – Devontae, I believe he was playing against cover two, running kind of a corner route, and he had him against the sideline. He had hit the gap, and and, uh, Hunley just skies it over his head. And had they been playing the Bengals or Steelers, Devontae Adams probably wouldn't be playing against the Browns, but Tampa Bay allowed him to jump up, didn't feel the need to put the finishing touches on his ribs, and they got kind of lucky there because he would have had Devontae for a first down, skied it over his head, and put him in a potential peril to be injured, and that's we've seen a lot of that from Hunley, and I think you're right that he's probably hesitant, but I think, too, that most of the time when he has an opportunity, the ball doesn't go quite where he wants it to go. Well, yeah, and, you know, remember that on the first offensive series, he misses Geronimo Allison yeah. in the left side of the end zone in a, a great route. Allison runs a great yeah. route, and he misses him. By five yards. Awful. I mean, and this is a this is a timing pattern that yeah. he's thrown five thousand times in practice. And so again, it's just a matter of you know. And, and some of the sideline throws are all a step late because you're like, okay, is he open? Is he open? Okay, now he's open. Well, by the time he's open, it's too late. He's not open because either either there's another defender coming over or you're too close to the sideline. Yeah. Everything in these patterns is timed out, and you have to throw it on time. Well, at least that quarterback controversy that I was so worried about when uh, Aaron Rodgers first got hurt is. <laughs> Not going to be a problem. I think you might be safe, actually. <laughs> I don't I know if Hunley has long-term future as a backup, to be honest with you, after his first. This this stretch lost him a lot of money. Oh, my gosh. Who would who would trade for him right now? Yeah. Like, I, I don't know. And he's probably talking, what, if he wants to sign with somebody, like, barely over the veteran minimum on his next contract? I mean, he might get over a million just because of the way the salary cap works nowadays, but... You know the veteran minimum is like six fifty, so yeah. he's not going to be making much more than that a year, I wouldn't think. I think it's uh, we thought we had something, and uh, we may not have had what we thought we had. Yeah, so at least he got to find out on the field. But uh, it would have been nice to flint him to somebody and uh, flint him to <laughs> someone. There's a new verb out there. <laughs> well, the defense had seven sacks. Um, they scored on a fumble six from Dean Lowry. Oh my gosh, that was. Uh, 
wasn't it awesome to yeah. see a huge defensive lineman running down the field? And he's looking around like crazy, like, I know somebody's going to catch me. I just don't <laughs> know where they're coming from. Uh, and so that was – I was really proud because I think Dean Rollover is one of the really good guys and really yeah. the super hard workers. And, and he's quietly had a pretty nice season. I think you're exactly right. So it was nice to see him score, but the more you looked at – the defense, um, it was a lot rougher than that would indicate. They had Jameis Winston running for his life with some backup people in there and him holding the ball a bit too long. Um, Clay Matthews probably looked as good as he has in several years. Uh, it's the first time he had two and a half sacks or more since they played Tampa the last time three years ago. Okay, But I was not very impressed by the defense. I believe Corey Bend on the Facebook page uh, shared some of the particulars as far as the numbers, uh, and we'll read that when we go to the Facebook comments. But um, horrible on third down. Lots of yards. Well, well, you know, we're going to sound like a broken record, and our, our listeners are going to get tired of hearing it, but when it's the truth, you just say the truth. Nothing changes. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, where, where are we getting hurt? We're getting down the seams. We're getting hurt over the middle, and we're getting hurt in crossing routes. And and that's the story we say every week. And yeah. so, you know, I, I don't know what to even say about it anymore. That, <laughs> I know. That, I you know, if I'm an offensive coordinator, you go in and say, well, there's no possible. You know, you would you would plan for the Packers defense and say, there's no way they're going to do that again after yeah. getting burned so many times. So we're going to have the first plan, and then we'll have a backup plan after yeah. the Packers adapt. And then when they don't adapt, they must go into halftime and go, really? Well, let's <laughs> just keep doing that. Thank you, Dom. <laughs> I, you know, <laughs> Yeah, I agree. There's really not much left to say. So um, They had some nice statistics, but I think that's because Tampa's not very good. I think um, don't, don't forget that, that the two wins are <laughs> against pretty bad football teams. Absolutely. Okay, so the Packers now take on the Cleveland Browns. If there's ever a cure for a terrible quarterback, it's Dom Capers' defense. Although he tends to shut down the really bad quarterbacks and get absolutely decimated by the good quarterbacks. But Deshaun Kaiser's not just a bad quarterback. He's the worst quarterback in the NFL. Cleveland longingly looks at Brett Hundley, the way that Deshaun Kaiser has been playing. But it's even worse than that. Right now, he has a passer rating of 58.3. He's on pace to have the worst passer rating by a quarterback to throw at least 300 passes in a season. So a guy who played a lot. He'll be the worst passer rating since Ryan Leaf in the year 2000. Ooh, that's a story to a story to remember and not fondly. No, I mean, that was the 1 in 15 Chargers uh-huh. with Ryan Leaf. They were absolutely terrible that year. And in the last 30 seasons, there have been 776 quarterbacks to throw at least 300 passes in a season and only 13 have been below 6 uh, 60 for a passer rating. So Deshaun Kaiser is one of the dozen worst of the 800 quarterbacks who have been a uh, main quarterback in the last three decades. Oh, my God, 58.3. That's not even speeding on the highway for goodness <laughs> sakes. Yeah. Holy cow. You would that's never a get... bad completion percentage. <laughs> yeah, right, exactly. This is his passer rating. So, 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 you know, imagine – So I hope our listeners remember, you know, we, we do get on Ted Thompson a ton for his bad drafts. But I got to tell you, the, the Browns take the record. Remember, there was a quarterback, if I'm not mistaken, he was out of North Dakota or something that they yeah. could have drafted. I don't remember his name. Well, there's there was one that didn't turn out to be very good from Cal. Also Cal either, yeah. You know, think about the quarterbacks they've let or go. Or Deshaun Watson, they could have had him this year. Exactly. And they said, no thanks. How, they got how the wrong in the Deshaun. world do you get, you know, if, if it's a quarterback-driven league, how do you get it wrong 10, 15 yeah. years in a row? Well, and they went defense-heavy. And so the defense can sometimes take a while to to get good together. Um, Miles Garrett looks like he's going to have the injury issues again. Um, But to me, if their defense isn't as good as Jacksonville's by the end of next season, 
They ought to just retract the franchise and give a it's, new one to St. Louis because uh, this this team is cursed. Yeah, I, well, you know, I want to apply for the job for the general manager there because I you, <laughs> you know, can't I, do worse. Gumby and the, Gumby could do better for goodness sakes. Um, and so I, I think, but the reason why Dom does well against young quarterbacks is because young quarterbacks don't handle the blitz very well. Yeah, it, like there there are not complex blitz packages in college like there are in the NFL, and so you can surprise them with the blitzes. But once they become a, a veteran quarterback, they've seen it and they can make the. I mean, Aaron Rodgers, yeah, Tom Brady, Drew Brees, <laughs> Roethlisberger has like four hundred yards every time he plays Dom. Right. So 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 like you know, come on, blitz me. So you know, I think there's a chance for for us to look pretty good this because we'll confuse a young quarterback and a, and a quarterback who's really struggling. Uh, but again, this is one of those teams that you got to get early. I, I'm goodness yeah. knows you got to get them early because this is one of those things at home. They're so desperate for a win. If they stick around, you know, uh, and you know, if, if you lose by a field goal in the last seconds to the Browns and that puts you out of the playoff race, how do you explain that to anybody? Yeah. You, you lose the, your chance to go to the playoffs to the worst team in the league. Yeah. That's pretty rough. Yeah, pretty rough. Well, and the thing that scares me is Cleveland right now is actually number one in the NFL in fewest yards per carry allowed, and you've got to believe they're, they've been run on a lot yeah. since they never lead. Right. So that can be a bit concerning that Brett Hundley's going to have to make a few more plays than he made on Sunday to be able to beat the even the Browns. You can't be turning the ball over if you can't run the ball, even against the Browns. Yeah. I, and, and, you know, uh, again, broken record, but but the easiest passes are swing passes to the running backs and passes over the middle to, to the tight ends right in the, you know, right in the slot uh, or in the seam. And, I, you know, our tight ends have completely disappeared. I, do we still have tight ends on our team? Um, sure. I don't know. Maybe we have big we have big blocking receivers maybe now. <laughs> um, and they can't do that very well. But, but I'm telling you, that's, you know, the, the easiest route in the world for a quarterback to throw is for the tight end to release, go seven yards down and turn around yeah. and be six foot six in the middle of his face and say, throw me the ball right to my face. You mean Jason Witten's entire career? Like Jason Witten's entire career. <laughs> <laughs> well, you got to give him credit for that. How pathetic is this? The Packers are a three-point favorite. Wow. Well, but they're on the road. Oh, you know, yeah. So. <laughs> road, road's worth <laughs> my three. my goodness. If the Packers are able to do what everyone expects them to and beat the Browns, Cleveland will be 4-46 and 46 in their last 50 games, which, as far as I can tell, will break the record that they currently hold with the Detroit Lions, who lost 45 of 50 games from 2007 through 2010. Holy cow. You know, really think about that. So, so you probably have had what? And during that period of time, you've probably had a couple of coaches, yep. maybe a couple of GMs. Yeah, that streak started roughly – they started 7-4 and four in 2014, which sounds like a million years ago. I, I mean, to, to be – you know, think I, about it. You yeah. could literally to, – to get to draft better than they've had, you could literally just take Mel Kuyper's board, <laughs> yeah. just draft whoever the highest player is at, whenever you draft, and then go on Madden yeah. and choose, <laughs> choose the successful plays. That's – You'd be better than than winning 10% of your games just by doing those two things. Well, and for them to so ignore the quarterback position repeatedly, who I think Russell Wilson is the only first-round pick to even – to definitely to win a Super Bowl. There's not many other non-first-round picks to play in a Super Bowl right, the right. last 10 years, yep. and Russell Wilson happened to have the best defense of his generation. 
So, so if you're going to, you know, if you're going to be a top 10, if you want a quarterback and you want a quarterback that's going to change your franchise, it's going to be in the top 10 picks because everybody's looking for a quarterback to change their franchise. And so I understand what the Browns did. I understand that they traded away their really high pick that they could have had Carson Wentz with. But, um, and you know, you got to build the rest of your team. But at some point, you have to give the fans something. Remember, yeah. it's an entertainment. Football is all about blood, sweat, and tears. But in, at a base level, it's entertainment. And if you don't keep the fans, yeah. holy cow, like, like give them something yeah. to be excited about. And, and I, I got to tell you, I thought Deshaun Kaiser would be better. I really did. I, yeah. I, I, thought, I thought at least he would be, like, you, you, you can be average and just not be terrible. Yeah. Um, this is David Whitehurst territory. Yeah, this is with... pretty bad, actually. Yeah, I, I don't understand why, especially when you're changing per, uh, personnel and uh, personnel people, when you're getting a new general manager and you're getting a new scouting department so often, and you're having that structure change. I don't understand why they haven't taken a quarterback, even if you have a novice in there. I, I've been researching 1989, and, and we've talked about this on other um, podcasts before the draft. You could draft... Anthony Munoz. You could draft Forrest Gregg. Yeah. I don't care. I would rather have Jake Delhomme on my team than Forrest <laughs> Gregg because it's much more interesting to watch on Sunday. It's, you know, let's say Tony Mandrich would have been the greatest thing ever. Well, big deal. He's Pancake and Richard Dent, and we're losing 28 to nothing every week. <laughs> right. Like, who cares? And, and, and that quarterback, you know, remember, the quarterback touches the ball every single play. Yeah. Th- that's what people forget is why is the quarterback so important? Because every single play, he decides where the ball goes. Uh, on the offensive series. And so, and so, you know, can a left tackle be important? Sure, absolutely, if the quarterback is worth protecting. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, if Deshaun Kaiser's there, who yeah, cares? Yeah, if not, if not. So, uh, listen, just let's count our, our lucky stars. Let's hope we don't look – I mean, can you imagine how ridiculous it would be to look past the Browns? Yeah. Oh, my gosh, we have, you know, we have uh, Aaron Rodgers coming back after this game. Um, I- I'm telling you, this would be hard to explain if we didn't get this one. Yeah, and if you really want change – and you really believe that we don't have a shot this year, a loss would not be unwelcome. Uh, I, I'll tell you, a loss would say an awful lot about the, 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 the current leadership of the organization. Yeah. So, um, I, listen, I don't wish it. I don't, no, I don't no, want no, that. No, no, no. no, no. no. I, you know, be, be really clear. We're skeptical. Yeah. We still want we – we're Packer fans. We always yeah. want them to win. Goodness knows, if they win two to nothing and, and the, the other team <laughs> we'll take it. ran out of the back of the end zone to give us the safety, we don't really care. <laughs> we'll I mean, we it. want them to win. We, we just – it's got to make sense to me, right? The yeah. moves have to make sense. The play calling has to make sense. The player personnel decisions, they just have to make if, – if they don't make sense to you and I who are novices, yeah. y- you know, how, do, how in the world are we paying a people a million dollars a year to make these decisions and to be wrong this often? Yeah, that's kind of scary. And at this point, even if you are cheering for the total tank job, I think with six wins, you're not going to be much higher than, what, 10, 12? Right, you're going to be in that neighborhood. You're not getting your magic bullet. And as you mentioned, it's going to be a shock to people, but as you uh, very wisely noted last week or the week before, if you're in the top 10, you're looking for a quarterback. Yeah, absolutely, and so that'll open a whole other can of worms. Well, speaking of quarterback play, that was less than impressive. Um, This has been a weird weekend for me uh, because the Badgers played before the Packers and we'll get into that but um, I just weird sports weekend and I want to go into more depth on that in just a minute but the Badgers lost to Ohio State 27-21 to lose the Big Ten championship game for the second straight year Um, they gallantly played in the second half they made some big plays on defense 
Uh, the best thing I read about that game, I wish I could remember where it was, but um, the person summarized the game by saying the Badgers lost that game on National Signing Day. And that's how it looked. Wow. They had no speed compared to Ohio State. Um, Ohio State played their same regular offense where you get one chance to tackle them, and if you miss it, they're gone no matter where you are in the field. And the Badgers missed about two tackles, and it cost them the game, and they were trailing from there on. I remember we had a conversation. You asked me about three or four podcasts ago whether the, uh, whether the Badgers could ever win a national title. And what did I tell you? Because they don't have elite yeah. athletes on the outside, because they don't have elite wide receivers and elite um, elite speed at the cornerback position, the answer is no. Yeah. Because, you know, there, there are too many – listen, college football is all about going – trying to make somebody go 10 plays, 80 yards, yeah. right? So if you really think about college football, there are very few times when teams go 10 plays, 80 yards to score a touchdown. It's almost always a blown tackle. It's, it's almost chunks. always a picked up – it's always all, almost always a pick six the other way. And so when you have speed like that and you can't match up – now, again, I – I think the world of Jim Leonard. I, yeah. I think Jim Leonard is going to end up in, as a defensive coordinator in the NFL, maybe closer to home than we all think. Yeah. Uh, but you know the fact that they they, they were that at that disadvantage with F speed and didn't play cover two, yeah. was super confusing to me. Yeah. Because when we missed tackles, like they were not just gone, but yeah. they were running away from us like we were running in wet cement. Yeah. And- Though that bothered me, but I, I think there's there's limited things you can do when you're just at such a disadvantage on the perimeter. The thing that was the most disheartening for me, I'm still on the opinion I was a few weeks ago that they got so far, and most of the years we've seen the Badgers schedule and saying, wow, why can't they go undefeated? And they never do. Mm-hmm. This year they did. Right. They lost to a tough Ohio State team. And I'm still waiting to see what this program looks like in three or four years when we get Paul Chris's offensive line in there. But yeah. the thing that was the most damning for the Badgers program is how their bread and butter is the trenches. And they got manhandled. They, got manhandled. they couldn't run the ball at all. And then it falls on Hornibrook. And no matter what you think of him, you could think he's a total bum or you could think that he's a sophomore and he's going to get better. The offense was never designed for him to have to beat a top 10 defense in the country throwing the ball 30 or 40 times. The Wisconsin's never going to run that way, and I'm, I'm still holding out hope in a few years that once Chris guys get in there that that will change, perhaps with the tail end of uh, Jonathan Taylor's run at Wisconsin. Mm-hmm. But them just being able to get nothing going and getting stonewalled every time they tried to initiate Ohio State entrenched themselves and couldn't be moved, and that's scary because if Wisconsin can't run on you, they've got nothing. Well, so, so listen, but there's always, a, you know, football's a chess match, and so if you put eight in the box, th- there are plays for that, right? So, so and and I will tell you that, that Chris called an absolutely great game because if you remember, they threw about a dozen screens. Yeah. Now, I don't know if our players can go back and remember, but they, Hornibrook missed six yeah. screen pass. Now, yeah. let me say that one more time. No, I know. It's a four-and-a-half-yard pass. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> he missed six screen yeah. passes. And if you go back and look at the screen, they've got two guys out in front of them. Every one of them goes for 30 yards. Yeah. Every, as a matter of fact, I, I was on the uh, – I think I annoyed you but when we were texting back and forth because uh, I was like, knock, knock, who's there? <laughs> screen, screen who? Screen door, screen printing. <laughs> screen, well, I wasn't in the mood to laugh to, during that game. <laughs> but I'm like, but he, it was the exact no, right yeah. play call. Yeah. When you put eight in the box, that's what you yeah. do. They, they set it up perfectly. 
But you got to get the ball to the running back. Yeah. And it, I'm telling you, it's a completely different game. If he even hits three more of those, mm-hmm. you're talking about 100 yards more of offense and certainly another score. Uh, but, but the thing listen, is, scary, be- they didn't have to put eight in the box that much because yeah. they were getting so manhandled. Yeah. It's, it's not like when Wisconsin beat the best offense in the country in 1998 in a shootout running Ron Dane a hundred times because they so were bigger than UCLA that they're like, yeah, throw it down the field with Cade McNown a hundred times. We don't care. We're going to line up. And every time we run the ball, we're going to get 10. And sometimes we're going to get 40. They couldn't move them at all. Right. We're, we're, we're very off it. So first of all, this is not Wisconsin's best offensive line ever. No. Okay. Yeah. Um, very good offensive line. Uh, but it, you know, when you outweigh your opponents by 50 pounds, it's, you know, it's easier to be a good yeah. offensive line. Um, they 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 met a, a a defensive line of really great, strong athletes that matched up with them, and they kind of um, how do I don't want to say this? They kind of went to a standstill, right? They just yeah. like they weren't in the backfield the whole time. There just there was no gaps, and you know nobody moved the line of scrimmage, and yeah. so there was nowhere to go. And then you've got great athletes at. Um, uh, you know, at the linebacker position, yeah. who flowed to make the ball, and so and that's a win for the defense. If the oh, offensive line engages the defensive line, and the defensive line doesn't move, that's even if they move a yard, that's a win. I, I totally agree because if you're if, if you're run blocking, you know where you're going, and yeah. you know the angles you're going to hit them on, and if you hit them exactly the way you're supposed to, and they don't move, yeah, that's not that good. That's not good. So I'm not ready to jump ship on the Badgers after a couple of days to think about it. Um, they're playing Miami. I like their chances in that game because they're a lot bigger than Miami. Miami's a lot smaller than Ohio State yeah, is, right. and uh, they've had their own issues. It's still, at least it's kind of an interesting game. I love the them playing Miami in a neutral site game in Miami Stadium. Yeah, that's uh, they, might, they, they may even have to take a taxi to the to – the, uh, <laughs> The, the Hurricanes might have to take a taxi. Do to they the at game. least make them rearrange their lockers so it feels a little bit like a that's neutral site really, game? Yeah, that's really crazy. I, I, I don't understand that one, to be, to be perfectly honest with you. Um, although, the, although you know what? Badger fans will travel anywhere, yeah. and, the, and the, the college football playoff system knows that. And so especially if you put them in Florida, you get people in the cold of winter travel to Florida. Hey, you know, let's get in the car and drive to Florida. So, um, so I guess I understand why they did it. Uh, you know, wouldn't it be great to see this Wisconsin team with a top 30 quarterback yeah. in, the, in, the, in the country? I'm not, I'm not talking top 10. Forget yeah. that. The top 30 quarterback. And you know what's funny? Gosh darn it, it's so frustrating. Horny back. When he throws the ball well, yeah. he looks like a million bucks. And then, like, like the two throws later, he looks like a dollar, you know, buck 280 <laughs> kind of thing. So, um, and people keep saying, the optimists say he's a sophomore, and so he's got a chance to get better. Those are some bad mistakes. Not a lot of college quarterbacks are making that at any level, but um, we shall see. And if the if the defense stays good, if the offensive line gets better, they had a lot of injuries at tight end right. and receiver this year. So um, we'll see what happens next year, but you're not going to get that cupcake schedule for in a few years. Right. Well, Hey, yay, Jim Leonard. Yeah. Yay, Paul Chris. Yeah. We've got, you know, we've got the right people uh, running the controls. We're always going to recruit a certain kind of player and uh, come on, let's just, let's take a point of reference here. Yeah. If you had told me in 1990 yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that we would be the sixth-ranked team in the country, I would have told you to share whatever you're smoking because there's just no way in the world. So all point of reference, yeah. right? We're a victim of our own success, just like with the Packers. I think at some point we just go, you know, I'm not sure we'll ever be the best team. We get a rare chance, yeah. right? I'm not saying we didn't have a chance. Um, 
but but boy, that's that's pretty darn good. And I'll give you that, but I'll say that if you would have told me at 10 when we were the sixth-ranked team in the country that in 20 years when I'm 30, we'd still be the sixth-ranked team in the country <laughs> with no visible path yeah. to get higher than that, yeah. I'd be like, what the hell are we doing? Well, I, and that's the thing. I, I uh I think if you're not happy with six, you're going to be disappointed for a long time. Yeah. Because until the elite athletes come to Wisconsin, it's just not going to happen. I mean, no. look at the really great teams. They all have unbelievable wide receivers who are going to be playing on Sundays yeah. in the NFL. Their linebackers are faster. I mean, we have wonderful linebackers, uh, although I think Edwards is really, really, really good. I, uh, I agree. Uh, T.J. Edwards, I think, is really good. Um, but, you know, uh, most of the teams have four T.J. Edwards. Yeah. You know? yeah. And so I, I, think our, I think we have very above-average players. It's, uh, listen, it really comes down to speed. To be yeah. perfectly – we're plenty strong. Yeah. We're just not fast. Yeah, and I agree, and I think that there's some – there's heritage that – that's hard to overcome in college football. I mean, that's one of the things that's frustrating about the college football playoff. It's nice that no matter what system we use, whether it's the Bowl Alliance or the BCS or the college football right. playoff, we can still have corruption. <laughs> that's the best thing about it because Alabama gets in for no other reason than they're Alabama. I was telling somebody today that you could ask a football fan from 1980, what do you think the college football playoff will be in 35 years? And he would have produced this group. Right, right. And so it's a little frustrating in, in that regard, but... Don't um, ever forget that the college football playoffs are about selling dishwasher yeah. detergent at, on commercials between plays. Well, so. <laughs> well and th- that's sports in a right, nutshell. Exactly. But th- that's one thing where I, th- I would challenge the people. I'm very satisfied with the Wisconsin season. Yeah. I thought it was a great ride, and they didn't get blown out by Ohio State. Right. Um, I believe oh, – we'll read the comments. Well, remember, there was a 59 to nothing not that long ago. Yeah, so. but that's the only blowout Wisconsin has suffered in like five years. Yeah, gotcha. I mean, they've played really well. Yep. But I also would challenge that those Wisconsin fans that are a little bit older than me and the people within the organization, at some point you got to stop thinking of yourself as the little brother. Why can't you go get a quarterback? You're, you have been good. I'm 30 years old. I'm not in high school. Right. You have been good for my whole life. At some point you have to say, well, if Miami could go from a dumpster to the best team in the country in 10 years – at some point, you have to say, we've been good for 30 years. Let's stop saying, well, we can't get the players Michigan can get. You've been much better than Michigan over the last 30 years. So, so let me ask this question. If it comes down to having a really good quarterback, because we're pretty good, you know, yeah. pretty good on, the, on the lines and running backs and all those things, what quarterback is going to say, you know what, my path to the NFL is through Wisconsin? Well, that's where <laughs> They don't you, throw the ball. <laughs> but that's where you have to – first of all, you have to talk about Paul Chris being a pro-style guy. Yep. And you have to show – Look at some of these Michigan guys. John Navarre. I mean, some of these guys, they just totally flame out. Russell Wilson won a Super Bowl. I know he only played one year year here. Scott Tolzien's been in the NFL for five years. He's probably going to have a decade-long career. Brooks Bollinger was in the NFL for a decade. Daryl Bevel could never play, but people thought so well of his time at Wisconsin that he instantly became an offensive coordinator and is going to make a career in the NFL. Absolutely true. You're not going to probably be the first pick in the draft, but the truth is you're going to have an NFL career. You're going to have some of the easiest throws to make. Well, that, that's it. I think that's how you sell a quarterback is you don't have to win it all on your own back. Exactly. Right? You, you make four really good throws a game, yeah. and we'll, we'll win the rest of the game for you. So I, I, I give, I'll give you that. And if sure. you pair them together, you're telling me they can't get a guy as good as Matt Leinart? I mean, if you're going 12-1 and one every year, 
and you could find a guy as good as Matt Leinart. If you start going 12-1 and one every year, right. then you get grandfathered in, and they're like, well, Matt Leinart might have 14 touchdown passes, but he's a winner. <laughs> and then you're the number 10 pick in the draft. Yeah, gotcha. So gotcha. We'll, that remains to be seen. So, really, so, so the thought here is, does, you know, can you record a quarterback and say, listen, I promise you we're going to change the offense yeah. so you can showcase yourself for the NFL? Or do you, do you change your offense to throw more and then prove to the rest of the world that you can come to Wisconsin and throw the ball? I think you got to stay true to exactly what you are right now and let the chips fall where they may. If they get a good quarterback, as you saw with Russell Wilson, Holy cow. there are tons of opportunities for the quarterback to showcase his skills. And that's another thing. At some point, and I don't know how you fight this, and that's what's so stupid about the college football playoff where you went from a computer deciding everything to having almost no statistical basis, right. and Alabama gets in because we ranked them higher than Ohio State all season. <laughs> it's like, well, Alabama gets in because we're right. It doesn't make any sense. But at some point, look at all these flameouts that are happening at all these other schools. One of the best quarterbacks is from Wisconsin. The best defensive player in the NFL is from right. Wisconsin. Yep. The I, I I forget who said it, but some uh, the Wisconsin's players have more longevity than almost any other school. The best offensive lineman of the last twenty years Comes is from, from Wisconsin. Wisconsin. That's absolutely true. Yeah, at you're some absolutely point right. you have to be like. Holy crap, we're really good at this. Why doesn't anybody believe us, and why can't we convince high schoolers that? Well, remember that Paul Chris has only been there a couple of years, yeah. and, and, and there was a lot of turmoil in the coaching. Remember yes. that the, the person who came to us from uh, Oregon, Oregon State yeah. um, you know, and, and left, uh, left after a year or two years, I can't remember which was, uh, just got fired because his team went 1-10. You know, a quarterback's got to see stability. Uh, and it's got to see, you know, so when you have Bielema leave and then you have Anderson leave yeah. and stuff, if I'm a quarterback, but maybe Paul Christ is, I mean, Paul Christ, tell me he's not the yeah. Wisconsin coach. Like he is the most, when they interview him, yeah. you, you might as well be interviewing <laughs> him at the end of a coffee table yeah. with a cupcake in one hand and a Diet Coke in the other, right? Yeah. I mean, he's just, he just the most Wisconsin guy ever, which is kind of perfect. Absolutely. He's from here, and if uh, Brett Bielema and Gary Anderson are any indication, um, sometimes when the going's good, you ought to just stay. <laughs> stay there. Yeah, both of them seem to be on the unemployment line. They're very rich, though, but true. they're on the unemployment line. Um, here's the other quick thing. I think the best thing about this, other than Ohio State getting screwed just for my own satisfaction <laughs> after they did the same to Penn State last year, um, I think that this is going to be the controversy that causes an eight-team playoff within a few years. And to me, it's so easy. You have the five Power Five champs get in, and I would love to see the other conferences say, Notre Dame, pick a freaking conference. Yeah, You've had right. enough of this. Right. You know, this is not 1985 anymore. You're the only independent other than, I think, BYU and Army. So join a conference, pick one. Everybody would be glad to have you. And so you have the Power Five. All five of those champs get in. Yep. So like we were talking in earlier weeks, it's a disaster that you have a team like Penn State lose by one point at Ohio State and lose in overtime at Michigan State and their season's over with a month to play. That team needs to be relevant, and then you have three at large, and if any group of five team goes undefeated, they're automatically in. And okay. To me, this has a, a nice thing is that it gives incentives for these group of fives like UCF and Western Michigan to go undefeated, and then if you're one of the other conferences, well, they're going to eat up one of our spots if they have a cupcake schedule. It flips the leverage, so then you have perhaps a – SEC saying, well, we're worried about losing a spot to UCF. Right. Well, what's the solution? Play them. 
Right now it's, well, hey, you can come on over to Auburn and play us. UCF <laughs> says, no, we'll go undefeated. You come here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And right. so that would cause a lot more interesting things. So, so and, and you know, I, I see it going that way too. First of all, it's more games. more. But we're playing the bowl games anyway. Yeah. We, just don't, we just don't have them as part of the – so like, oh, we don't have the time. Where, you're already playing the yeah. games. So. And, and apparently the academics are much less important – for the one double A teams and Division two and three, right. than it is for the kids that are leaving school early to go to the NFL. Yeah, I, you know, I, I think so. So what's interesting is, uh, you know, they said well, the four team playoff was going to solve the issue, and it won't because because the sports and news are looking for a controversy, yeah. right? So so you sell more newspapers and go back to selling more dishwashing detergent if you can create a controversy. And so um, I, I think there's some point, but I love the idea of an eight-game yeah. playoff. It's, I think I think fans would embrace it. And the controversy is not going away. If people are willing to sit on a Tuesday night and watch an hour of four talking heads decide if Wisconsin or Alabama is better, I assure you they will do the same <laughs> to decide if Penn State or Washington is better. Well, I remember in basketball we have 64 and now 65 and now I think 66. Actually, <laughs> still arguments about who doesn't get in. Yeah, we're worried about people getting bored <laughs> talking USC versus Penn State when people are watching for a month. No way. Coastal Florida <laughs> is much better than the Brooklyn School of the Arts. People watch that all the yeah, time. Yeah, so. that we we sports fans are funny beings, man. <laughs> well, we enjoy. Uh, the the thing I just wanted to say is that I on Sunday morning was so depressed about the Badgers losing um, because you just feel like they're never going to get well, over I still, that. Home. I couldn't believe they were still in it. Yeah, I mean, that was the biggest thing for me. Is remember that. Um, the quarterback for Ohio State, uh, uh, JT Barrett. JT Barrett, he missed three touchdown throws, like yeah. wide open touchdown throws. And so the fact that they were still in the game, so let's face it, right? Yeah. They really should have lost by yeah. 20 points or more, um, in my opinion, at least. Yeah. But you were in the game and you had a chance to win it. Um, I, you know, I, it, yeah. it was exciting. I didn't really expect them to win. I'm really sorry. Really sorry because I teach yeah. down at Madison. I love the kids and they're amazing. By the way, if, if, you need to know this, that that if, if people ever wonder if student athletes are students first and athletes second, the answer is yes. At least at Wisconsin. I, I, I was, I'm telling you, these these athletes are brilliant and they're talented and they're driven mm -hmm. and and they know like they would love to play in the nfl but they know like yeah. they know we even talk about it in class and they all have another plan and they all are going in a different place so you know uh it's okay to be number six and we have really good yeah. players and nobody's stealing cars after well, after the game's over and the the frustration for me was and i understand all that it's okay being number six but that takes time the, the night after a gut punch it's just right. you feel like I'm going to watch this team forever, and they're always they're just destined to lose the Big Ten championship game. This was the perfect circumstance. They had the easiest schedule they've ever had. Ohio State's down. Michigan's down. Penn State, who's probably the best team, in my opinion, in the entire Big Ten, is buried under tiebreakers, so they can't hurt sure. you. And then you lose. And I had that most of all morning on Sunday. It was just, gosh, I, I go back to the same discussion that I had the day after they lost to Seattle in the NFC Championship game is we put our heart and souls into these teams and you dream about how awesome it would be. And I was thinking of the Packers. They're going to play their 100th season next year and they're the best team in history and they've won it 13 times. Yeah. I was starting to think, well, does... I wonder what sports fandom does to your psyche. Does it make you a pessimistic person 
it's the equivalent of writing to Santa every year and nine of 10 years, you don't get what you want. And sure, you get a few things that are nice that you try to convince yourself you really wanted, but the big thing at the top of the list never comes. And at what point does that just make you lose enthusiasm for Christmas? You know, it's funny, but my my wife is uh, is, is not really a football fan. Yeah. She tries, but and she just does not get it in the least. And and you know, I, I'm trying to explain it to her, and as I'm trying to explain it to her, it's kind of hard to explain it, in rational terms. It, it, like, I, you know, I know they're going to lose, and only one team's going to win, and they're going to disappoint you, and they're going to break your heart. But we kind of live for that, and it's like. Well, it seems like like a colossal waste of time, or really setting yourself up to be unhappy a lot of the time. And that's what I was thinking. I'm like, what? How would I be different if I wasn't putting all my faith in these teams that are going to lose at the end? Right. Like, how do you? And, and I was trying to explain this to my wife, and I was wondering if it is better or worse to if you're a sports fan first, you're used to the disappointment at the end, and you like to get lost in the dream, but it always gets ripped apart from right. you at the end. Right. Well, I'm like, but does that maybe give you a healthier view of the world than the person who's obsessed with movies where the good guy always wins at the end? <laughs> right. It's, it was just an interesting thought experiment, but it's one of those days where, like, after they lost to Duke in the NCAA final or after they lost to Seattle, after they lost to Ohio State, it's just this gut punch. Like, what am I doing? This always ends in sadness. And then watching the first half of the Packers and Bucks and realizing that, Nobody cared, even people in the stadium, people commenting on the game, commentating the game, barely cared. I'm like, nope, this is worse. I would rather lose the Big Ten championship game every year than follow a team that doesn't matter at all. Yeah, I have to tell you, though, if 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 your wife doesn't get it and my wife doesn't get it, I mean, I hate to tell you, it might be us. <laughs> the problem might be us. Well, and I was sitting there, I'm like, Ugh, yeah, it's it, it's definitely us to a degree, but... I, the the Packers still. Um, I I want to. Uh, their playoff hopes are still incredibly small. They they basically need Atlanta to get swept by the Saints. They need the Saints to win the NFC South. They got to beat Carolina. They need Seattle to lose two of four. I mean, they need a lot. It's not like other years. And they still have to win four more games. Right, right. That, that little that small little detail. detail. Yeah. Uh, but. As soon as they beat Tampa and almost everything fell the Packers' way, after I told myself this morning I'm going to stop getting lost in my dreaming of these good teams, I'm like, well, beat the Browns and then Aaron's back. It's going to be a great America's Game episode when we win the Super Bowl. You know, hope springs eternal. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Okay, so let's get to the Facebook comments on this game and uh, anything else that people wanted to bring up. So... A couple days ago now, uh, we had some great um, contributions from our, our fans. And let's start with – it's incredibly obvious, I'm sure, that I'm trying to find my spot on this. As <laughs> okay. I feel like I should be, like, whistling Muzak or something <laughs> yeah, in fill time. All right, so Corey Ben left the first comment, a great fan of ours. Um, he's liked – I'm liking what I'm seeing out of these rookie backs. We ha- We might really have something with them. Having a solid one-two backfield punch to complement the passing attack would be a welcome development. The defense still isn't showing signs of meaningful progress. 25 first downs, 395 yards, and most alarmingly, 9 of 16 on third down. All of that against a last-place team with a quarterback shaking off rust from a three-week absence on a good day when our pass rush was actually good. The quarterbacks for the top four NFC teams will be Wentz, Keenum, probably Goff, and Breeze. Even if the Packers sneak into the playoffs, we'll have to beat three of those four guys, 
all on the road to get to the Super Bowl, and they'd be licking their chops looking at our defense. The defense has to get off the field more, or Aaron's return will be a waste. I don't know how any Packer fans could watch that Fox announcing team that we got yesterday and still whine about Buck and Aikman. <laughs> We've defended Buck and Aikman on here a long time, right, right. but... Yeah, that I thought it was a perfect tribute to Bucks versus Packers because Tim Ryan and some other guy was Bucks versus Packers for twenty years on the sixth ranked regional game. Well, just I mean, you know, good. Let's just face it, guys. This is a really tough stretch for us. Good games get good announcers, and bad <laughs> games get bad announcers. And right now, we're not a very good football team. So you know, you you can kind of rate. Yeah, but the good teams are by the announcing group, and 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 listen, I, you know they didn't do a bad job. It yeah. was just you know we're so spoiled by uh, the Collinworth, uh, Collinworth, who I think is just uh, he has moments, but I mean just just really I really yeah. like him a lot. Here's a guy who's who's pretty good at commentating. Yeah, I think that's probably a fair <laughs> statement. Um, so yeah, I I, I didn't. You know, I, it, it would be uh, – it was one of those times where I went and I turned off the sound on the TV and yeah. I turned on the radio broadcast, which, by the way, if you can get past the commercials, is an awfully good way to do it. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Larry and uh, Wayne are the best there is. Um, at least we learned Greg Jennings likes archi- architecture. I don't know if you thought that. <laughs> he talked about that for like two plays. Um, and then Corey adds, McCarthy is really lucky the defense and running game bailed him out at the end. Otherwise, the last offensive series would be one of the most indefensively bad game management blunders of the season. We're averaging six yards a carry, but sure, let's throw a wide receiver screen on third and one and then pass up fourth and inches for a tying field goal and give Tampa the ball back with two minutes left, needing only a field goal to win. I'm glad you said that, Corey. Um, I believe Omade said that as well. I was furious. You went wild. Yeah. Because... <laughs> How many games do you have to lose letting your defense defend the goal line in a tie game with two minutes left? I don't care if you're playing Tampa. That never works out well for the Packers. And to me, it just reeks of, I dare say, cowardice. I know you love to throw the ball and you want to play the percentages, but if you can't get an inch against these scrubs with the way Jamal Williams has been running, then get off the field and go home because you're not a playoff team anyways. Well, and you have a quarterback who can quarterback sneak or he can run read option or you know read option is a great play on on fourth and one when's the last time you never got a yard with you know read option um but but i think what what's really odd is it it seems like mccarthy is still sticking to this idea with no evidence that our at some point our defense is going to come to our defense and then i can stand up in front of everybody and tell them that they're wrong about dom capers i i I don't think we're wrong I know that's they're clearly wrong. Even if they would have if they shut out their next four opponents, Dom has still not been that good well, as the defensive and, coordinator. And just remember that Dom can't play, you know, so is is it the players or is it the scheme? Well, if you play the same scheme every single week and you don't change anything, you know, it could be both. Yeah. Um but but even the, even you know, if you have bad players, you got to protect them with scheme, right? You have yeah. to understand where your strengths and weaknesses are, and if you know, that's how you decide to play zone or whether you play a tra- you know a trap yeah. uh, combo coverage or whatever it is. And I just, well, I I don't want to go there anymore. I just don't see any change. <laughs> yeah, no, I absolutely agree. All right, Daniel Johnson, another great fan. Great job getting the win. It wasn't easy, but they got it done. I was only able to watch parts of the game on red zone until the Vikings versus Falcons game was done and my region got bonus coverage. I think we also got kind of lucky because of how few passing yards we got and still won. It was a total team effort with the running game and defense really stepping up and getting some big plays. It's nice to get an OT win. I think that this team will beat the Browns, but it's definitely a trap game and don't get too confident. 
It would take some implosions by some teams, but we have a shot at the playoffs. I was not impressed at all with Greg Jennings' commentary. Um, speaking of implosions, did you see them try to blow up the silver? Dome? I saw them actually, and um, what somebody, one of the coaches, made a comment about you know this is not the first failed implosion, <laughs> or not the first implosion at the silver dome. <laughs> the silver dome. <laughs> yeah, that's uh, uh, that was. I'm kind of sad it closed because that was one of the coolest abandoned looking places in the last few years. Right, and there's some really classic Packer games at the silver dome as yeah. well. We we struggled there for a long time, but there's some, you know, that 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 that, that uh, long pass in the playoffs. Yeah. So far. Um, and and the Hulkster slammed Andre the Giant right right at at midfield so that's probably my favorite moment at the Silver Dome for sure and I'm not even joking okay it sucks that Wisconsin lost Alabama still got into the college football playoffs the argument that the chairman made was that Alabama was unequivocally better than Ohio State due to being ranked higher in every poll during the season so a little bit of a confirmation bias there Um, a few extra topics we'll get to real fast that uh, Daniel had the fall of Kansas City, um, I can't say I'm all that shocked because I was shocked at how fast they started. They always kind of seem to do this. And um, for an Andy Reid team, they got kind of a lot of hotheads that don't seem very mentally tough. Well, you know, remember, they took apart the Patriots in the first yeah. game. I mean, really, really made them look silly. And, and all of a sudden, they look like this juggernaut. But again, you know, I, the NFL is all about making adjustments. And yeah. so, you know, if you play, like if, if this is your game plan and you play it and you win the first five games, the sixth team is looking at that and saying, okay, let's stop that yeah. and let's see how they adjust. Well, when you don't have something to adjust to, yeah, what do you kind of hit a brick wall. And I, I think apart. that's what you're seeing here is you have such a, a deep belief that you're right mm-hmm. that no matter how many times you're wrong, you keep going to it. And, um, and at, some point, at some point, the players stop believing. Yeah, that's the really hard because the players are thinking too. Like this isn't working, so you're the coach. Change something, fix it. And you wonder what that does psychologically to blow out the Patriots in Foxborough Week One. At that point, you're like, well, let's play the AFC Championship game right, right now. now. <laughs> but you have to go through 17 or 16 more games from that moment on to get back to that point. It might be hard to get yourself up for the Jets and. The Bills, yeah, and they're you know they have looked bad in a lot of different ways too. Yeah, it's um, so again, able, but yeah. so so what what does that mean, right? That it's either willing or scheme, and so I'm so bored with the Chiefs. I hope they continue to collapse. I don't want them in the playoffs. Okay. I've had enough of them. <laughs> All right, touchdown celebrations. Are they good or getting annoying? Um, both. You know, um, I, I think there's there, it's putting some some color back in the game. I think it's kind of fun. I, Listen, I think it'll I think it'll settle down, right? Yeah. It's like anything. If you tell a kid he can't have a cookie for you know for seven days, and then you finally say, okay, you can have all the cookies you want, they they eat themselves sick of Oreos, <laughs> and then like three days later they go, well, I'm not sure I want a cookie today. Yeah. So I, I think there, I think there's all this creativity that's been bottled up, and the players are saying, you know. We're, or letting it go. There's some pretty fun ones. I mean, yeah. there's you know, row the boat and the, yeah. the home ru- the home run ones are fun. pretty fun. Yeah. Duck Duck Goose is kind of hilarious. Um, so that you know, it just proves that all males are twelve year old boys. I, I would definitely <laughs> agree with that one. Uh, Clay Matthews made a comment about uh, Aaron Rodgers being placed on IR. He made some kind of offhanded comment like perhaps we shouldn't have put Aaron on IR. To me, I it, I think he was just talking. I don't think that was necessarily a criticism. Um, had Aaron Rodgers not gone on IR, he still wouldn't have played probably until the Browns game, and you might not need him against the Browns. Sure. I think he can play. His eligibility is back to play Carolina. I think even had he just been taking up a roster spot, Carolina would be, would have been the nearest you realistically could have had him. There's, there, there's, you know, 
when's the last time a broken bone didn't take eight weeks to heal? Yeah, that, that's you know if, if that you, didn't immediately if you break fell again. off your bike when you were eighteen, you know when you were eight years old, yeah. and you broke your arm, it took eight weeks to heal. And yeah. so um, to put your quarterback, at, you know, bring him back even after eight games is not any kind of guarantee that everything's fine. And they'll no. do all the bone density scans and all those things. But let's not lose sight of the fact of you know we maybe have Aaron for four more years. That's yeah, my guess. I, I, I don't agree. have any inside information. I think maybe we have them for four more years. How about we don't burn them out in a in a kind of a bad year? I would agree. Um, and the last thing, the bad play call on third down, we talked about that. The Giants benching Eli Manning, firing the coach and GM. What if Green Bay tried that with Favre or Rodgers? Um, yeah, we talked about that a few weeks back about how – they may be considered benching far, but not that, at least not publicly, because yeah. of how hard that is to do. Ben McAdoo paid with his job almost immediately. Um, weird situation, and I don't know. Well, you got to stay in your lane. You got to yeah. know who you are, right? Yeah. So if you're Ben McAdoo, you feel pretty good about being a relatively young guy, being a head coach in the NFL, but. You know, Eli Manning has two Super Bowl rings. Well, yeah. So, so you kind of you have to know your, you know, stay in your lane, uh, know your place, and and you take a really huge gamble because what you're saying when you change quarterback is it's not the scheme or the coaching, it's, it's the his quarterback. Fault. Yeah. And if you put in the other quarterback and it's bad, it's super obvious it is <laughs> the scheme you. or the coaching. I think it would have been difficult for Tom Coughlin to have pulled him and save face, and he would have been able to say, "Hey, look." I got the same two rings on my hands that he has on his, and it still would have been difficult for him to bench Eli Manning. Yeah, so, I, I just think move. that was, um, you know, people do crazy things when they're feeling under the pressure, and the pressure of the New York press is yeah. relentless. And you know, you go from a really good year last year, you're the Wonder Boy, and then this year you can't, you know, you're not able to make the fries. Uh, so <laughs> all the pressure's gone. You just, yeah, right, exactly. You got, you know, um, I, I think Ben McAdoo's a good guy. I just think he got in a little too deep, a little too fast, and then wanted to prove that he belonged yeah. and when you do that you're all, you're out on an island and when you when that boat sinks you know that boat sinks with nobody but you in it yeah hopefully he can say see a hair and facial hair stylist while he's gone so he doesn't <laughs> look like central casting's version of a creepy guy yeah i just uh oh if you know you can get a new bowl just about anywhere <laughs> for <true>. the haircut <laughs> yeah you might have to do it at home now he's, he's out of a job all right eric hansen another great fan as a fan it was nice to finally see a win and at the end of the day the final outcome is all that matters in the standings but as a football fan while that game was kind of ugly if tampa didn't make so many mistakes there's no way that the packers win that game that being being said, this game did have a few bright spots. First, I think it's safe to say that the Packers have a quality run game. Second, the defense finally came up with a key stop late in the fourth quarter after the Packers tied the game to push the game into overtime. I guess that's true. We should mm-hmm. point that out. Yep. However, I still have some serious questions about this team. First, I know that he's young and still developing. But honestly, I don't think it's unreasonable to expect your backup quarterback to play a little bit better, especially since the Packers have a good run game, O-line, and group of receivers to help him out. That brings me to my second point, which we have been alluding to for years, and I'm just going to directly say it. This team is completely dependent on Aaron Rodgers, and total dependence on one player is not a good model for success in the NFL. Rodgers is a top 10 all-time quarterback, and obviously his absence is going to hurt the team. But at the same time, look at other teams that had all-time great quarterbacks miss playing time. On those 80s 49ers teams, Montana missed a number of games almost every season, but they were still able to win some of those games and stay competitive. Tom Brady missed the first four games of last season and almost all of the 08 season, but the Patriots still had a winning record during that time. In the 70s, Terry Bradshaw missed games for the Steelers, and in the 60s, Starr missed games for the Packers. But in those situations, both teams fared better than what the Packers have without Rodgers. While each of these quarterbacks 
uh, each of these teams deeply missed their Hall of Fame quarterbacks. When they weren't in the lineup, they didn't have their entire team's culture set up around just one player. And because of that, they were able to at least stay competitive when the Hall of Fame quarterback was gone. About the closest thing I can think of to what I've seen from the Packers without Rodgers is the Colts without Manning and Luck in recent years. There are a lot of similarities between the two situations. The biggest one I see is that the way the rosters are constructed and managed on these teams all seems to be based on the success of one guy. When that one player either doesn't play well or is not playing at all, there's little chance for the rest of the team to succeed. This is a really bad model for long-term success in the NFL. Not sure what I'm trying to say made any sense at all, but what are what do each of you think? Also, do you think this team needs to be reconstructed now that it's not so reliant on the success of Rodgers? I know exactly what you're saying. Um, you have to have a program that isn't so <laughs> reliant on one player. I don't think it's as easy as saying we have to have a great offense and defense and running game and a great quarterback because that's only happened a handful of times in the history of the league. But uh, Chris and I were talking before this. After I read your comment, uh, Eric, yesterday, I went and looked up, well, who's a team that should have been completely dependent on their quarterback? And a great example was the Buffalo Bills. Mm-hmm. Jim Kelly called his own plays in the no-huddle, the, the K-Gun the offense. K-Gun, right? He called all of his own plays. They were 8-6 and six without him in his career uh, from 1988 on. And so... If the Bills lose the guy who calls the plays for their offense and can go 8-6 and six without him, including winning two playoff games, you got to do better than, I think, McCarthy's 3-15-1 and 15 and 1 without Rodgers oh in his goodness. career. Yeah, that's really, that's really tough. And, and, you know, it just puts too much pressure uh, on the quarterback to win. So, so you know, do you, if you need your quarterback to be Superman every single week, um, you know, and, and that's what happens is people start looking to them to say, well, I don't really have to do that much because they're going to win the game for us anyway. Uh, by the way, he, make, he makes a really great point. Uh, if you want to see the classic understudy backup quarterback, just just uh, Google Zeke Bradkowski. <laughs> yeah, uh, Zeke yeah, Bradkowski exactly. came in, and when Starr got hurt uh, uh, trying to make a tackle on an intercepted pass, Zeke Bradkowski came in, and he really kept the Packer uh, team afloat in, in one of the Super Bowl years. Mm-hmm. And um, I think he won a playoff game in 65 65- as well, yeah, I think you're absolutely Colts. right. Yeah, and just you know, but that's what the, the backup quarterback. You can't have a team that's so dependent on one player that somebody can't come in and the other players can't lift them up off the side. So, yeah, I, listen, I think you're exactly right. Uh, the trouble is, if Brett Hundley was a rookie, we could say, eh, we know who exactly who yeah. he is. Yeah, and uh, as far as the team needs to be restructured. I think they need to get stronger in other areas, but just off the top of my head, I'm not exactly sure how to do it. I think you've got to start by getting a new defensive coordinator. You've had so many different talent go through that scheme, and they all stink. <laughs> so, Well, uh, we're still really dependent on people that we drafted in 2009, yeah. and they're getting long in the tooth. Um, I, you know, the, I said this before, and I, you know, I, uh, some of our fans are going to get mad at me, but I don't know what the Packers are going to do with $20 million when they let uh, – yeah. When they let Clay go, Clay, you're paying Clay Matthews $10 million. Yeah. And um, Randall Cobb. Randall Cobb, $10 million. Yeah, and, they didn't even try to use him on Sunday. Right, exactly. So I, I, think in, I, I think in this case, we have got to stop thinking that those guys are who they were in 2010 and 2011. Because yeah. they're just not. None of us are. None no. of us <laughs> are. And so, uh, you know, take a look at the places we've taken for granted at strength. And that's where we start rebuilding right after we draft our next quarterback. Yeah, I would agree. All right, Brian Dinsey, great fan. I'm sorry, but you know you are not even 
even close to a good quarterback in today's NFL with less than 100 yards passing. <laughs> uh, Wisconsin was a disappointment, but expected because until they get an elite quarterback and the running game can go against four and five star defensive players, they will always just be a great Big Ten team and nothing else. Also, regardless of standings, I would just let Aaron Rodgers sit out because they're not going to make the playoffs either way. Um, can, I, can I make a really quick yeah. point? So think about it that the Badgers running back had 30 yards passing, <laughs> right? Yeah, he threw it yeah. back to the quarterback. Yeah. So that puts it in perspective oh, that what 100 yards is in the NFL. Um, yeah, I think he makes a great point. Yeah, that's that's a rough one. <laughs> All right, and then uh, Omade, we'll get to this. And then, um, Chris, if you still have time, we'll do the – Yeah, the, sure. Because we promised it. We can't we can't not do it this time. To get paid this much and, and still have this much fun, I get I get all the hot dogs I can eat, for goodness sake. <laughs> and on a good day, I get the pork and beans as well. Yeah, as long as he microwaves them himself <laughs> and he doesn't use the real plates. Okay, Omade Mousley, I've ne- I'm never going to get used to 10-minute-long overtime. It's an enigma. Um, it was a solid win. The running back duo of Williams and Jones looked like the real deal, and it was nice to see Aaron Jones get one carry for 20 yards and a touchdown in his return. Oh, and it was the walk-off score. Jamal Williams had a nice game but still made some bad cuts last week was a mirage for brett hunley less than 100 yards passing again how do you become a starting quarterback in the nfl and can't throw for 100 yards it's like being an illiterate school teacher <laughs> oh my gosh i'm sorry that one touched a funny bone uh, he said sorry to seem angry but it's frustrating good thing he can run or else there would be a lot more issues at least he set up aaron jones for the touchdown so it's not an absolute negative the play calling was bad a wide receiver screen on third down and one and then you kick a field goal why not just go for and be aggressive. Sometimes I wonder if Mike McCarthy would be the coach now if he hadn't won the Super Bowl in 2010. Um, that's a so one of his comments is really right. Uh, as you watch Williams mature, yeah. um, he's gone from not looking at the hole at all to now making some cuts. He did miss some cutbacks yeah. that that a year from now he will be making, and um, you know you'll start to see some of those three and four yards turn into three, four, and then twelve and then 18. So uh, you're seeing the, the evolution of a running back. And he's got a guy in the running back room with him that has tremendous vision. So. That is absolutely correct. And the guy who's coaching, I believe, the quarterbacks now, or maybe the wide receivers, Edgar Bennett, if he would have been a tenth of a second faster, would have been one of the best <laughs> running backs of the 90s. The guy was a tremendous blocker, great vision, great pass receiver, just didn't have the extra He's the gear. offensive coordinator now, isn't he? He might be. They have like four offensive I coordinators. I think they do, and they have a perimeter coach and all that other good stuff. Yeah, so. they're getting to be like a communist regime because McCarthy <laughs> doesn't want anybody to leave, so he invents these job titles. Like, you are the super-duper coordinator of all things great on the Packers. Where does that rank? Is it higher than Winston Moss? Um, you are both special. <laughs> I mean, it's getting really weird. Uh, you know, we've got to be careful because you'll, you'll end up on uh, Twitter tomorrow calling the Packers a communist regime. That won't go that well. But I understand. It's community-owned. <laughs> it is a communist team. <laughs> Very good. Okay, a couple uh, last comments uh, from uh, Olmade. The defense still sucks. A nice play by Dean Lowry, but they shouldn't have let this game go to OT. I wonder what it will take to get Dom fired because it's getting ridiculously obvious that they are going downhill. It was nice to see Clay Matthews have a spectacular performance and still show he still has something. Hopefully this team beats the Browns or else this team will go another 29 years without winning a title. Please don't lose to Cleveland. I will question everything if I, I know if they do. This is Cleveland. I don't care if this is a trap game. They are the Browns. Um, if everyone argues... Um, if everyone argues if the best team in college football can beat them. Uh, so hopefully they keep their dignity and beat the Browns. Um, I actually thought, um, you know, it was between Ohio State and Alabama for yeah. the fourth. I really thought the Browns were going to get that. The fourth, yeah. you know, the fourth uh, <laughs> slot in the college playoffs. Ah, uh, their resume, though. 
Right. Not a, not a <laughs> the great strength of schedule is good. That's true. Their strength, in, in large part because of their own contributions to their opponent's strength of schedule. Uh, tough break for the Badgers. Nice season still. I feel like they will get better recruiting classes with an actual quarterback and wide receiver talent. I enjoy the fact that Jonathan Taylor is a freshman, so he will be the cog for a few years. As a Florida State fan, I had to endure this mess of a season, and I would long for Jameis to come back and maybe bring back Dalvin Cook, Calvin Benjamin, Devontae Freeman, and Roberto Aguayo back too. And I can't forget Jimbo Fisher. Hopefully A&M goes far because he's a hell of a coach. Um Okay, and we're going to – so you got some other comments there. Thank you, everyone, for the comments, but I really want to get to what we teased, and that is a question that Eric Hansen gave us last week. Our favorite game from each of the last five decades. I'd like to propose a discussion topic for you two. You each have to pick your favorite non-playoff Packers win from each of the following decades and explain explain why it's so memorable to you. So here's what we'll do, Chris. Okay. You'll say yours. I'll say mine, and then we'll share the ones that the fans have chosen for that decade before moving on. Okay, that sounds fine. All right, uh, the I, 1970s, you have to go first because... Whoa, wait, why wouldn't we start in the 60s? Well, they just asked since the 70s, but you can say your favorite game in the 60s if you want. <laughs> oh my gosh, I'm feeling super old right now. <laughs> what's your favorite... Well, well it, regular you know, it season almost, it in almost the 60s? has to be the ice bowl. Well, I, no, we're talking regular season only. We, oh my gosh. We can't talk about the... Uh, um, the ones everybody knows. This is the 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 guts. We we got it. So All that's right. why we're probably going to the seventies. I oh. can we can discuss some that other people have too. But um, well, if, if so, if I uh, okay, so if I I wasn't really prepared for that. Yeah. So, <laughs> so so if I went to the um, uh, so so I'll just go back to the sixties. I I can't remember what year it was. It's, yep. I think it's sixty five. But it probably is when uh, Zeke Bradkowski comes in and wins that game where Star gets uh, Star gets beat because you know Star was not the whole team. Yep. But but you know he was the embod- uh, uh, embodiment of Lombardi on yep. the field, and and you have this leader go down, and you know Zeke Bytkowski. If you really look at him, he's the same height, he's the same size, he has the same arm. He doesn't you know he has the same kind of aw shucks personality, and when he comes in and wins that first game, <clears throat> um, I think you go oh my gosh we really because the rest of the team yeah. stepped up as well and he didn't have to win the game. So that that would be mine. Okay, um, I. I don't know. That's probably unfair to ask well, you about the sixties. <laughs> there's a few. Um, the, and obviously, I I never even seen the game tape. The, the, there really isn't any game tape, like full broadcasts available of regular season games before like 1977. Right. But um, so there's a couple. They beat the Eagles 49 to zero in 1962, and I think they had like a 500 yard advantage. Oh my god! It's like the biggest blowout <laughs> in history. It should have been a hundred to nothing. And um, there was the game in 1965 in the fog. Every time you see a highlight package of Paul Horning. Oh, my gosh. And he's coming out of the fog. It's coming oh out of the fog. Gosh, it's the five exactly TD right. game at Baltimore in the fog. So, um, I guess. Well done. Yeah, we'll yeah, pick those. Good job. Well, I'm kind of a nerd. <laughs> All right. The 1970s. What is your favorite regular season win of the 1970s? 1972. The, uh, I think it's 72. Uh-huh. It's not 71. It's the first game that John Brockington plays. Okay. John Brockington comes out of Ohio State. And uh, if I'm not mistaken, in his first game, he lays a lick. It might have been the Cardinals on one of the Cardinals defenders. Okay. And after the game, they show his thigh pad, and he hit Brockington hit him so hard that the thigh pad turned the other way. Oh God! Like it literally, you know how it it, it curves around your thigh. Yep, yep. Like they showed it at the end of the game, and it was curved away from his. You know, and so you know that was um, for those of us who didn't see. 
Jim Taylor and, yep. and uh, you know, less so Paul Harney, but Jim Taylor was just an unbelievable beast. Um, and all of a sudden you went, holy cow. Cause, cause you knew you weren't going to be great at quarterback. I yeah. think you're Scott Hunter back there. And, yeah. um, <clears throat> and so, uh, that was really exciting cause he was one of the very first draft choices, uh, first or second draft choice. You got a, a marquee player and a marquee player that made everybody else look good. And, and I got to tell you the world's best face mask. Yeah. I mean, just the craziest <laughs> thing that. in the world that, that the helmets were so weird back there. It looks but, like something they found in an abandoned Sumerian city. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know where you come up with these, <laughs> but but you know, remember Dan Devine is there, yeah, and and he you know he comes from Notre Dame, and there's hope, but you you can only have hope if you have good players, and then this guy comes out, and he just, I mean, he runs through people. He's not yeah. running around anybody. Yeah. He runs through linebackers, and you go, wow, the Packers are tough. That's not something we can say very often. <laughs> they haven't been that for a while. <laughs> All right, so the 70s is difficult. I tried to pick games that I've actually seen, um, and I just wanted to rattle off some of the other contenders just so we can talk about some of these. Um, so in week 13 of 1972, they blew out the Vikings 23-7 to at the Met. Uh, to clinch the NFC Central Division for the first time in five years. Um, I looked this one up and I was researching it in the old Green Bay Press-Gazette. Um, there's a phrase in print media called "below above and below the fold. Mm-hmm. Well, the Packers beating the Vikings in 72 pushed the descent of the Apollo 17 lunar module, which would be <laughs> the last men to walk on the moon, pushed it below the fold so they could talk about the Packers winning the division uh, at the top of the front page. It's all about priorities. Isn't it? <laughs> it's absolutely. Um, the, the 1975 win over Dallas, John Hadel beating the undefeated Cowboys. That was cool. Yeah, that was, that was cool. inexplicable that that actually happened. Uh, the one I wanted to pick, though, as I've actually seen it, is the 1979 win over the Patriots on Monday Night Football. So the, this was the first Monday Night game in the history of Lambeau Field because they got new lights that season. Oh, that's right. And so they had played many Monday Night games at County Stadium, but ABC thought it was too dark at Lambeau. Right. So they came in 1979, and the 1-3 Packers with David Whitehurst beat the 3-1 and Patriots, uh, I believe 27-14. to and the copy I have has post-game coverage on Channel 11 out of Green Bay. There are people in the streets. They cover it constantly. You talk about Mike McCarthy sticking up for Dom. Right. Bart Starr standing there. I don't want to hear any bad things about my football team anymore. <laughs> this is a Week 5 win over a Patriots team that had made the playoffs twice in the last decade and lost both first games. It would be the equivalent, and this is 1979, so... Super Bowl two is only about 12 years prior to that. This would be the equivalent of the Bears beating the Chiefs in week five of next season (laughs) and then having a parade. So it really showed how desperate they are for a winner. Um, Cool contrasting uniforms with the old school Patriots. Um, And it's just fun to see the old Cosell and uh, Meredith and... um, um, Frank Gifford team. You know, I got to tell you that... In awe of Green Bay. if If you have never watched tape of Monday Night Football in the 70s. That, that is really the golden era. Yeah. I, I'll tell you, the three of them, uh, Gifford, Meredith, and Cosell, are just, they're just perfect. Yeah. And um, coming to Green Bay, they make a big deal out of it. And, of course, Don Meredith played against the Packers, yeah. and so that was a really big deal as well. <clears throat> you know, but when, you, when you're so bad for so long and you have a win, 
reminds me of a saying that my dad used to say, which is, in the land of the blind, the one-eyed man is king. <laughs> so, <laughs> there you go. so any little, <laughs> any little spark of joy in darkness looks like, uh, looks like a roaring fire. So that's my favorite game from the 70s because okay. I've actually seen it. But uh, So the other ones that fans have submitted, Corey Bend submits the uh, Week 5 1975 win at Dallas. Um, just for time constraints, I would encourage everyone to go to the Facebook page and read the descriptions people gave here because they have some great ones. Eric Hans who submitted the topic he said week 12 in 1970 at pittsburgh so the packers in the dying days of their dynasty beat the baby version of the pittsburgh dynasty and i believe that was bart Starr over terry bradshaw in kind of the snow i can see it on uh one of the the NFL yearbooks with John Facenda talking about nice. it. Nice. Very nice. And uh, Daniel Johnson didn't do the 70s because he wasn't around in the 70s. Omade Mousley agreed with uh, Corey Bend in saying beating the Cowboys at Texas Stadium. Uh, or, I'm sorry, beating the Cowboys in 1972 um, when Dallas was the defending Super Bowl champions at County Stadium. So there that's, you go. that's a really good one. Mm-hmm. Okay, the 80s. What is your favorite regular season win in the 1980s? Okay, so it doesn't have any significance. To- well, I, I got. I got to give you two. Okay. All right. So, so the one that was fun was the the one against Tampa Bay where it snowed like, like yep. fourteen inches. Nineteen eighty five. Like that was just joyous, and it was Tampa Bay coming from ninety degree weather. Yep. And and them, you know, we have guys out on the field shoveling snow. On, yep. You know, while the teams are playing on the other end, we have people shoveling snow on the other end during the game. That was pretty. That was pretty cool. And, did and you know that's actually Lynn Dickey's last game? I did not. know I that. think he got injured in either late in that game or in practice. So that was the last time he ever played for the Packers, and then he was released, never got to play again. So that's his last game. They won twenty-one to nothing. He had three hundred yards in a, blizzard, in a blizzard, most to James Lofton. So if you ever think Lynn Dickey wasn't awesome, um, he had the ability to be when he throws for three hundred in a yeah. fifteen inches of snow. Uh, and, and then of course, uh, nineteen eighty-three, the Packers beat uh, Washington. Yeah. Uh, now, that's special to me for a different reason. You guys are going to know way more about me than you ever <laughs> wanted to. The reason that game is familiar is is my um, my first wife, which tells you a lot, too. My first <laughs> wife and I were dating. Okay. And we actually were in a, ho- uh, a hotel room. Oh, hey. And I chose to watch the game <laughs> <laughs> because it was such a good game. Um, I think that should have been a foreshadowing for my first wife of where my priorities were, but uh, obviously great yeah. game. And, you know, I screamed and yelled when, uh, when they missed the, when Washington missed the field goal at the end. <laughs> and all I can remember is her looking at me going, really, this is how you want to spend your time. So, um, I so- think it's time well spent. I mean, <laughs> if she didn't want to stick after 48 to 47, adios. Dude, it's all about priorities. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that is an awesome story. Well, I was born at the tail end of the 80s, so I have nothing to compete with that. Um, So I think that one is definitely on the list. Uh, The one I go to that I've seen is the instant replay game over Chicago in 1989. It was the first win over the Bears in five years. Uh, When the referee, they're looking at this forever. When the referee says, we have a reversal, it's... Maybe the loudest cheer that you'll ever hear at Lambeau Field. And it's weird because... And instant replay is really new around this time. Yeah, I think it's a few years old, and it's very limited. There's far less they can look at than nowadays. And just to have beaten the Bears... And that one is interesting in the fact that 
you talk about how I've talked about in the past how it's similar to the 1992 Favre game. Mm-hmm. Whereas the Favre one, you traded a lot for the guy. It was exciting. That felt like, oh my gosh, this might be the start of something. Right. Even though Mikowski had a great 89, I get the sense, um, having studied it, having heard you talk about Mikowski, that people probably realized he had such a good season after it was already over. Like, wow, oh my gosh, I can't believe he had that good of a year. And that one was more not like, oh, we've arrived, we're better than the Bears now. It was like, ha, screw you guys. We got one. (laughs) Who cares if he was over the line? We win. It was was crazy. Because you have to remember in the the early 80s, the Bears are just, and they own us. They're just crushing us. And being a Packer fan with people coming up from Illinois to vacation or whatever. Mm-hmm. It's just a painful process for an entire decade. And so that one – and, of course, Ditka went crazy yeah. in the Bears. You know, he st- he put an asterisk next to the for loss. For, like, 15 years. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. So there you go. So that – and that's just a fun game, uh, too. Uh, Sterling Sharp plays great. Uh, so that's uh, – that's my choice. Uh, Corey Ben's pick was the 1983 win over the Washington Redskins, the highest scoring Monday night game. And that one actually, I believe, is on YouTube as a uh, part of the NFL official account. And it's on the Packers. It's the only non-Favre game in the Packers uh, 10 best games DVD set that was released uh, in 2008. Okay. They gotcha. did the voting in April of 2008. <laughs> After Brett had just retired, I must have voted a hundred times trying to pick not Favre games. Okay, and then every Brett game. I'm won. sorry, I just had one of these moments. I just, I, I don't know what to get my ex-wife for Christmas. I think I know what to get her. <laughs> there you go. The DVD set with that game in it. There you go. You probably get it on Amazon. Uh, Eric Hansen agreed with me. The uh, 1989 game over the Bears. Uh, Daniel uh, Johnson is waiting until the 90s, and Omade Mousley the 1989 win over the 49ers uh, where they beat the defending and eventual champions that season in a stunning upset at Candlestick Park. Um, do you have any recollections of I that don't, game? I don't. I don't actually. That's uh but that would have been a really big deal. Yeah. And remember this is you know this is when the magic man is kind of coming up and he's he's coming into his own right and um you know you're starting to pull off some miracles and you're starting to believe you 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 don't you don't believe that you're one of the really good teams out there, but you believe that any given Sunday. Yeah. And and this guy gives you a shot because he just you know he's he's making stuff up. I, I think yeah. we we really love the gunslinger kind of guys. Yeah. We love Favre. We love uh, we love um, Mikowski. But but it was always exciting, right? Because yeah. a lot of the losses were so boring. It was not only <laughs> you were going to lose, but we were just so bad yeah. that it was just it was, it was like watching it was like watching a steamroller like slow motion destroy your car. You know, yeah, just, yeah. you knew what the end result was going to be, and it was really painful to watch. Yeah, that's interesting that you don't remember that game. It, it's I'm finding as we talk more and more about these old things that um, a lot of us around my age. The 1989 season looks kind of magical in retrospective, and I don't know if it's because of the close proximity to the Favre stuff and he really one-upped all that stuff, or maybe people just didn't believe that it was sustainable, but the 1989 season seems to mean far less to you who experienced it than it seems like it should have mean meant me looking back at it. We had gotten teased a number of times, yeah. remember. So there were, you know, early John Hadle, um, early Lynn Dickey, uh, and so you've got this flash in a plan, but you really know the rest of the team around them. Yeah, is not that great. So, uh, and of course, um, 
I didn't know. Uh, you know, you just you just expected it to be this little bump in the road. Yeah. And so I I see how you could see it as the gateway yeah. to the greatness that is the Green Bay Packers in the last. 27 years well it's not even that it's it's the fault the, the thing that makes it most interesting to me is that it's the it's the big tease we're 20 years almost what 25 years into this futility right and this is the big tease like oh my gosh we might actually have a good quarterback we actually do have a star defensive player we have a coach that knows what he's doing and to me that and the first part of eight, 1990 feels like it would have when that fell apart Right. That had to have felt this is me just projecting as somebody who was alive but not watching football, wondering how that must have felt when it was clear that Infante was lost and Mikowski wasn't the guy and you Mandrich stinks and Tim Harris doesn't want to play here. Like to me, it's one thing to have Dan Devine fall apart five years after Lombardi. Right. right. What if Lombardi Infante's the fourth or fifth guy to fall apart 25 years later. And, and that's that's what I'm talking about being teased uh, because, you know, you, you have these flashes in the pan, but then it always feels like you're you're the little brother yeah. who, you know, wins one checker game and then, you know, you lose the next nine because the, 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 uh, the big brother really flexes his muscles. And so for me, it was <clears throat> an exciting time. And, um, you know, it took so little to make you happy and keep you interested. But you really had – I mean, Sterling Sharp and Tim Harris and, um, well, Mandridge was supposed to be this guy. Yeah. And you actually had some names that people knew. Mm-hmm. You were occasionally, um, you know, even on, on – uh, um, Sports Center, you yeah. were occasionally on Sports Illustrated. You'd get Madden and Summerall every now and then, which was exactly. Rare. So we, we we just thought it was this moment in time. That's all. Okay, nineteen nineties. So way more to choose from in the nineteen nineties than the seventies and eighties. Uh, Favre arrives in ninety two, and it's really great from there. Um, do you want to go first, or do you want me to go first? Yeah. So so the one uh, and nobody else is going to remember it. So it's the first year, it's the first game of the Super Bowl season in 1996. Uh It's against Tampa Bay, I think. Yep, you're right. And and we walk all, I mean, we projected to be really great and all the projections, and we are every bit as good as we're projected to be, um, oh, the tight end who came out of Jackson. Keith Jackson. Yeah, three touchdowns. Just runs. How do you remember? I'm telling. I'm telling. But I got you. I, like <laughs> either I've forgotten all this stuff, or you like a wealth of knowledge. I haven't seen a TV. This is the golden age of television. I haven't seen one episode of new TV in like ten years. <laughs> okay. I'm watching Keith Jackson beat the Buccaneers in '96 while everybody else is watching. You Game probably of watched it last week. Yeah. Uh, so so anyway, we have this idea that that you know they 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 could maybe get past the Cowboys, and then they've made some additions. Sean Jones comes in. Um, uh, and you know Eugene, he, yeah, he, yeah, he comes in. So uh, Keith Jackson comes in, and you know Tampa Bay at this time is not a terrible football team, not a great football team, yeah. but they're not a terrible football team by any means. And the first game in Green Bay, we are a steamroller in every phase of the game. We're running the ball well, stuffing the run, knocking down passes, picking them off. You know, Favre is just he has he's his choice of wide yep. receivers. You go. You know, I've never seen it. That That's my thought was I've never seen it like this before. That's a great one because you really did have those expectations that whole offseason. And not only that, I, I don't know if you remember this, but they murdered the Eagles on Monday Night Football the next week. And then San Diego, who was two years removed from the Super Bowl and had been a playoff team in 95, and then they crushed them too. And it was like, oh my gosh, this might actually be the real thing. Right, we've seen steamrollers in the past come at us, yeah. but now we're the steamroller. And 
<clears throat> it's kind of believe the hype. Yeah, absolutely. All right, mine for the 1990s. So I have a couple here. Um, the win over Dallas in 97 after he had lost to him seven straight times. Mm-hmm. They finally come to Lambeau. Right, you right. kicked the snot out of him. Yeah, absolutely. There was merchandise in the store hyping a regular season game. Yeah, and if you go to the Packer Hall of Fame, there's a, there's an entire encasement to that game. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> yeah, there really is. Still, like well, the newspaper articles and some jerseys from the game where Dallas came in a regular season game and got beaten in Lambeau finally. That season, uh, that's a whole other episode, but – it makes me sad how little anyone remembers about that season because they lost the Super Bowl. Because mm-hmm. the week after they destroyed Dallas at Lambeau, they went to the Metrodome and killed the Vikings. It was the first time they'd ever won in the Metrodome. Wow. The run that they were on at the end of 97 is every bit as good, if not better, than the run they were on at the end of 96. Yeah, okay. I mean, just completely dominant. And so many storylines and the few wrongs that had remained from 96 before were all righted in 97. And then... You blow it in the yeah, yeah, yeah. But my choice uh, for 1996, my favorite game, is Christmas Eve against the Pittsburgh Steelers. Um, some sentimental moments there. I, I, it was one of the games I got to watch on my uh, our old family farm, so I got to watch it with oh, all, a lot of my relatives yeah. and things like that. Uh, I didn't know really what a division title was at the time because okay. I was eight years old. But that was the first season where I had watched <laughs> every single game. And that's the game where Favre is diving at the goal line. He gets hit. He, I don't know if he bruised his stomach or something. He runs to the sideline in perfect timing by NBC. Right as Brett Favre's about to throw up all over the field, you can see him heave and then it goes to commercial. <laughs> and apparently he got it all out of his system and uh, comes back on the field, throws a touchdown in the next play, and then they win with Yancey Thigpen dropping the pass on fourth down in the back of the end zone. Oh, I remember that. Absolutely. And so that, to just remembering our house full of people, we had our family there, we had a lot of friends. There was probably 20 people in this old school farmhouse. So mm-hmm. it's small around one of those wooden box TVs that's sitting on the ground. And when he dropped that, everybody went insane. And especially like my, my dad and his brothers and his sisters who had been fans, you know, like, like you had right. been fans through all that time to be the NFC central division champions. Uh, it was just a cool moment. And, and remember, Christmas too. And remember, yeah. Uh, Cause there was a next, you know, cause it was a Christmas. It's the next day. And the newspaper said, uh, Yancey delivers a Christmas present because yeah. it was an easy catch yep. like right in the corner of the end zone and he just plain dropped it. So And he got a standing ovation when Pittsburgh played the Packers at Lambeau in the 96 preseason. So. <laughs> I did not know So that, that was fun. And he even took it in good graces. That's like he cool. kind of waved and smiled. <laughs> That's pretty cool. Uh, Corey Bend for the 1990s. He's agree- he agrees with the Dallas game, the uh, week 13 in 1997, and hard to argue with that one. Eric Hansen has week three in 1999 versus the Vikings, which I've talked about on this in the past, but this is the Favre game where um, they beat the Vikings after getting beat by them twice in Randy Moss's rookie year in 1998. Okay. And the, the, they play a really tight game against Minnesota. They're down 20-16, to 16, and Favre runs the length of the field and throws a touchdown um, with little time expiring. Or, no, 12 <laughs> seconds left. Sorry. Gotcha. Um, and then Omade Mousley uh, is Brett Favre's debut in 1992. It's hard to argue with that. Sure, one. yeah. All right. Um, 2000s. Uh, what do I'm you got in that I'm one? Struggling. I'm struggling with that one, actually. Um, okay. I don't know if you have one or if you can read some of those. I... Um, I Mine for 2000 is a weird one. So you have the Brett Favre dad game that everybody loves. Right. Mine is the 2009 win over the Dallas Cowboys at Lambeau Field. 
So this is the Charles Woodson game where he completely dominates. He forces two fumbles. He gets an interception. The, he almost has a shutout by himself. It's okay. basically the game that wins him the uh, defensive player of the year. And uh, the reason I choose this is they're up three to nothing against Wade Phillips' best defense in Dallas. It's end of the third quarter. Rodgers converts on a third and 11 and a third and 13 on that drive. And the last, the third and 13, they show that sky cam view. Mm-hmm. And Donald Lee is unable to be seen from Rodgers' perspective. And he throws a perfectly anticipated, with perfect velocity, perfect touch, right to the perfect spot. And Donald Lee catches it. And I'm not joking, and I've said this on this podcast before, that is the moment where I set, went from Aaron Rodgers is going to be a good player to he's going to be as good as Brett Favre yeah. on that play. And they ended up winning, and from that point on, they won, lost one game the rest of the year and went to the playoffs. So, so I, I think I'm just going to default here a little bit and just say the Favre game uh, after his dad died. It was, uh, for, for me, the most important thing. First of all, it looked like the Raiders let him. I mean, he threw some. Yeah. He threw some great touchdowns, and he yeah. threw some really horrible touchdowns yeah, too. It was out. like the Raiders were like, you know, let's just give him this one. Um, but but the most interesting thing was, we, you know, we think the Raiders fans are just these horrible people and the black hole and stuff. They could not have been more compassionate. They could not have been more understanding. I, rem- I I'll just from never forget the woman with the sign that says, "Bread, our hearts are with you." Yeah, and um, that showed. <clears throat> listen, the NFL is a tough game with tough men uh, playing a tough sport. But when all is said and done, you know, we're all human beings. And, and to watch that really tough place come to one of the, to, to, to one of the great stars of the game yeah. to show the love of that person, that, uh, not just as a great quarterback, but as a human being. Wow. That's, yeah. you know, the ice, the ice, the ice caps melt here, you know, right. So, so um, yeah, I don't know. That was just really one of those warming moments. For yeah, me. I, I would definitely agree with that one. And perhaps uh, if you watched Monday Night Football last night, maybe Mike Tomlin and uh, Marvin Lewis could learn a little bit from the black wow. hole because uh, those are two uh, coaches and teams that are taking themselves way too damn seriously. They're like it, it really looks like they're out to hurt each other, which is a dangerous place to be. You get hurt a lot when you're not trying to hurt each other. Yeah. But some of the blocks, you know, the block the wide receiver put on – perfect yeah and knocked him out and then he said well that's just karma yeah um <laughs> that was the last thing the nfl needed in this season right I'll, <laughs> I'll tell you like you're you they got to remember they're playing with people's lives those 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 men are 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 children's fathers yep. they're husbands of of wives and um you know I, sometimes i think they're just too young to understand the yeah. implications of what they're doing yeah so i would agree <laughs> okay so in the 2000s we have Omade and also who, who am I seeing here? I'm, I'm, it's hard to read and do this at the same time. Uh, sorry, Omade and Daniel Johnson both picked the Antonio Freeman Monday Night Football catch game against Minnesota. Oh, in the year I totally 2000. forgot. Yeah, yeah, there you go. That's a great, great. one. I actually didn't see it, see it live. I went to bed early because I was working on homework all night and I was really tired. <laughs> I was 13. Oh my gosh! Um, but obviously, I have seen it since. Uh, Eric Hansen has a really good one that was uh, week three in 2007 against the Chargers when Brett Favre tied Dan Marino by throwing the game-winning touchdown pass to beat the Chargers. Um, so he said it was nice that he tied the record on a meaningful touchdown. Yeah, which I would right, agree. Right. And then Corey Bend has Christmas Eve, the de facto NFC North Division championship game, um, Christmas Eve 2004 when they beat Minnesota 34-31 on a last-second field goal. Also one of my favorite games. Yeah, absolutely. Well done. 
All right, so real quick, we'll do the 2010s. Uh, so, so this one's really easy for me. Okay. <clears throat> and everyone's going to remember it. It's the throw in Detroit uh, where oh, uh, yeah. it's – The Hail Mary. The Hail Mary. Like, if you've never watched that throw from yeah. the different angle, that is the most incredible throw of a football. I literally, I've, I've been around football for 40, almost 50 years. Yeah. I've watched great quarterbacks on TV. I've watched great quarterbacks in person. I have never seen a ball thrown like that in my entire life. That ball has, with its arc and everything, yep. that has got to be 85 yards. Oh, yeah. No question about it. Because um, it was <clears throat> 70 yards just la- like distance. Exactly. That's not including the trajectory. I'm t- And if you watch it from the back and it shows up like like – you know, you're you're looking at the top of the silver home for or, yeah, Fort and, Field, yeah, yeah, Fort Field. Thank you very much. And um, and when he comes down with it, and remember, it's really late. I don't know what day of the week it was. It was the Thursday night game. Yeah, right? so it's really really late. So it's getting close to midnight, and I scream, and, and my wife and son and daughter come running downstairs. What's wrong? Like, is the house on fire? And yeah. no, the Packers caught a touchdown, and they were really really mad at me but that was one of the moments that was a really inspirational yeah. moment for me um and it just made me think man Aaron Rodgers can do whatever he wants yeah and even Phil Sims, I remember uh, vividly when they show the replay when he sees where he threw it from he goes oh my god like it just genuine reaction like he couldn't believe somebody could throw a ball from, from a pretty there. darn good quarterback yeah and my girlfriend at the time now wife she she's a nurse so she was went to bed early and I'm in the room next to her in our small duplex and when he threw that I I I I almost passed out because I was saying, "Oh my god, oh my god!" And then I fell to the ground and laughed hysterically into the carpet <laughs> for like thirty seconds. I didn't even see the guys running around. It's just pure joy. Yeah, my choice is I feel badly, but I already gave Aaron Rodgers the game in the two thousands okay, when he didn't play enough. that long. Matt Flynn coming back from twenty six to three at Dallas, oh, winning. You really like the Packers beating Dallas. Well, <laughs> everyone loves it. No, no, don't feel bad. I'm sorry but to see. That uniform yeah. beat that uniform on that field with the star in the middle with Matt Flynn right. ruining the Cowboys season. Oh my gosh, it was just and to come back from twenty six to three down that saved their season. I know Aaron Rodgers has the great walk off in Week Seventeen. Right, they don't get that if Matt Flynn because Flynn exists to motivate Aaron Rodgers. <laughs> Rodgers had already tied his touchdown and his yardage record so then matt flynn had to go and tie lynn dickey's record for the biggest is comeback that the game in franchise where, where uh, uh aaron Rodgers hurts his hand uh no this is the one Rodgers doesn't play at all he was out with the uh collarbone okay all right um i, I think you might be thinking the one where Rodgers comes in for Favre. oh maybe yeah, yeah in texas right. and, stadium and, and gotcha um but yeah flynn comes back from 26 to 3 throws four touchdown passes in the second half um it I think Matt Flynn should be in the Packer Hall of Fame because of that season and that game. It's just so much fun. He had two games that made him like $10 million. Oh, yeah. You know? It's crazy. But he might be like the – I think he's a top 10 Packers quarterback of so all time. I think so, too. I really do, too. <laughs> yeah. uh, you know, who do you call when, when Favre goes down and Seneca Wallace can't do it? Yeah, you call yeah. Matt Flynn and he comes in and saves your season again. So. In remarkable fashion. And right. has the tide for most yards, most touchdowns, biggest comeback. The dude's awesome. Okay, Corey Bend says week 10 versus Chicago – uh, because that's when Aaron Rodgers threw six touchdowns in the first half. Uh, Omade Mousley agrees as well. So just after all the, you know, you 
uh, Corey Ben mentions your haunting memories of the 61 to seven game in 1980. <laughs> this was that for the bears. <laughs> yeah. I think 42 to nothing at the half was it, the score. Uh, I remember him throwing a screen pass from like 60 yards away and there, the whole, I think it was 50 yards away yeah. and there wasn't a bear within five, uh, five yards of him through the whole 50 that, yard. That run. was Eddie Lacy, wasn't it? <laughs> it totally yeah. was. I mean, and, and, you know, Eddie was a, a slimmed down version a little bit. Yeah. Uh, you know, he'd started to put on weight, uh, and, and, you know, so he's nobody's, he's nobody's speed demon. It looks a little <laughs> bit like a waterbed with legs. Um, yeah. and so, uh, but it was just, yeah, it, that was a butt kicking. Yeah, absolutely. And then same season, Eric Hansen has the win over the Patriots, in a week 13 of 2014. I think that game that should have been the Super Bowl that year unfortunately. But... I remember Tom Brady being really mad at the end of that one cuz he missed a throw on yeah. fourth down and he was like he came off the field and, and and threw his helmet down and I thought, "Holy cow, we got to Tom Brady. That's pretty good." Yeah, he was caught visibly dropping three F bombs in a row and somewhere on my computer i never released it uh because it didn't quite it wasn't quite as funny as i thought it would be but there's a file of tom brady doing that except i replaced it with a turkey gobble since it was thanksgiving weekend <laughs> and it so i have that somewhere it's next to my um matt flynn video that i used to have on youtube in an old account of uh matt flynn um, set to the Baywatch theme of uh, being ready in the event Aaron Rodgers gets hurt. So there's a lot of stuff I've tried that hasn't seen the oh, light of day. Oh, dude, but... we got to get you out a little bit more. <laughs> I'm having way too much fun in, man. There's no, there's nothing out there that is having more fun than I'm having in here. All right, thanks, everybody, for uh, contributing your choices. Uh, Daniel Johnson, by the way, agreed with me for 2010, uh, the 2010s, that the Dallas win by Matt Flynn was okay. the best. Will the Packers get a win this Sunday? Yeah, I think so. I, I think if you're smart, um, even though they have a, a, a tough defense, you run the ball and, and you run the ball enough that, that uh, the Browns creep up and you get a couple of uh, you know shots down the middle to the tight ends uh, in play action. And, and um, you know, Deshaun Kaiser is going to throw one or two really bad balls. Yeah. Um, and, and Dom's smart enough with bad quarterbacks that, again, you blitz them and you put in kind of some kind of trap coverages. You know, we'll have a – we may not have a pick six, but we'll have a couple of picks. Um, and, and so you'll do – I think you'll do just enough. Yeah, I think they'll win as well. And I sense a lot of dread from Packer fans, not only our listeners, but out there in the entire larger Packer fan universe. And – I'm feeling almost no anxiety about this game because one of two things is going to happen. You're either going to beat the Cleveland Browns and you're going to set the stage for Aaron Rodgers to return and try to make a real run at this thing, or you're going to lose and that change that we've longed for is going to happen because I can't imagine some heads don't roll if, particularly if you lose because the Browns offense contributes anything. Right. You're playing one of the worst quarterbacks we've seen in a generation, and if he lights up Dom and you lose... Dom's finished. Yeah. Uh, and, and listen, great career. I, I know we rag on him a lot here. Uh, great career. But, but but at some point when you're building Model A's still in, in 2017, yeah. you know, it's time to hand the, hand the keys to somebody else. Well, somewhere he's talking to Mike and he's like, Coach, we're going to stop Bernie this week. <laughs> and hands him his game plan. Bernie Kozar. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> 
All right. Well, hopefully the Packers can get a win and uh, we can keep the dream alive for one more week. Uh, So thank you for joining us and contributing. If you'd want to contribute to next week's show, please go to the Facebook page, Green and Gold Forever Podcast on Facebook and read everyone's favorite games of the last five decades. Some great descriptions there. And we have such a knowledgeable fan base, so it's great when we get so many contributions from them. Um, You can follow us on Twitter at Green Gold Forever. That's the number four, Chris. You mean like four games left in our season? Exactly. Four games left. Well, unless we make the playoffs. Uh, unless we make the playoffs. So we have four games left. Four <laughs> wins that Cleveland has had in their last 50 tries okay. if the Packers win on Sunday. <laughs> Um, and also follow us on the go by uh, subscribing to the podcast on iTunes or on the Podbean app. So the Podbean app has our complete archives and iTunes has most of our archives now. So whichever your preferred uh, on the go podcasting app, we're available on a couple different platforms there. Please rate and subscribe if you uh, are so inclined. All right. On to Cleveland. Hopefully we get a win and uh, hopefully we come back next week with some uh, talk of Aaron Rodgers playing again. Well, that will be exciting one way or the other, and uh, let's make sure it's worth this time to come back. Absolutely. Thank you, everyone, and take care.